World Cast Wrestling. I'm Pete. Of course, we're joined by Johnny and Kelly. Kelly, how you doing, man? Doing awesome, brother. And Johnny, how you doing, brother? Doing great. Just got back from a vacation back home in New Jersey. How was Jersey, man? It was great. It was down South Jersey, just chill, eating calamari and pizza, just hanging out. It was great. Jersey Shore style? Jersey, well, South Jersey Shore style. Okay. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures on Facebook. It looked like you're having fun, man. Oh, yeah. But, man, we have a couple guests with us, man. We have Jeremy, JB, with us, Jeremy Bryan, one of my buddies, and Johnny P. Jeremy, JB, we're just going to call you JB because that's what I call you. JB, man, how's it going, bud? I'm doing great, Pete. Everybody else calls me JB, but I'm going to go with it. Awesome. Johnny P., what is going on, my friend? I cannot see. I cannot wait to derail this like right away and talk to Johnny Sorrow about um, Enzo versus Joey Janela, North Jersey, South Jersey trash stereotypes and how exciting that fight, that video of that not fight was. Yeah. Well, I'd have to pull for Janela because I'm South Jersey through right. and through. So. Well, well, with the Philly connection, I've got to go with Janela too. So, you know. That's all the modern wrestling we're going to be talking about, guys, because we are talking the Great American Bash from July 16th, 1988, over at the Greensboro Coliseum that was just released on the Hidden Gems on the WWE Network. This would be, I guess, the one, two, third third, uh, bash show they were released. along with a bunch of other stuff from the Crockett Territory. We got the Boogie Jam. They did the Crockett Cup. And they have, uh, did, uh, like, they did a, one other show where they had three matches. But they're really, really cranking out these hidden gems. And this is one of them, and we thought we'd review it today. I know uh, Kelly uh, was in Canada, or still is in Canada. And they, well, he wasn't getting Crockett television at the time of the bashes. I know Johnny Sorrow, he was finding love for the first time. Multiple whoa, 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 whoa. I had plenty of love. I just was. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. We watched this, and even WWF at the time, I just was not interested in wrestling. Everything was, I was burnt out on all of it. I mean, that's cool. I understand that. And you I know, think this was, and I think this was Greenville, not Greensboro. No, no, it's Greensboro, but it's not the Greensboro Coliseum. It's War Memorial <sighs> Stadium. So is no. this an outdoor oh, no. show? No, War Memorial Stadium is just July 2nd. This is July 16th. Oh, I don't. I'm just going by history at WWE.com because it's not the. It, it looks different. It's not the Greensboro Coliseum, and I think it may be outdoors too. Um, it is. This is yeah. This is the Coliseum. I can swear that's what I'm getting from Cornette's book. Yeah. Well, the Coliseum I would just is say an indoor stadium though arena. Because late, later on the show, Ricky Morton references the nice people here in Greenville. So maybe he was well, it was the Great American Bash tour, and they'd been in different cities every night. So he probably he, he, lost he literally track. was getting which city he was in. Yeah. So are you saying they give us the wrong date on the uh, network? No, no, the date uh, is is right. It's just the according, like I said, according to WWE uh, history, WWE.com, it's the War Memorial Stadium. Yeah, that's not the War Memorial Stadium. There. Oh, no, that's oh, Greens- okay. that's Greensboro. Is it? Yeah. Okay. okay. It's absolutely yeah, it, it's definitely Greensboro. Just from the setup, they've got the uh, the wide concrete where they where they've set, they set the the uh, the uh, barriers up a little further away from the ring with the seat set back a little bit further. That's definitely Greensboro. Hmm. And this is before the annex, right, JB? Yeah, it's before the annex. Okay. 
Because they were a little light. If you look some but of the shots, you can see light. where they're, they, they've got yeah. it set up kind of curved in a little bit too, where the seats are a little, uh, you know, a little more scattered than normal. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely Greensboro. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a full house, that's for sure. Oh, well, no, I, I know it was because the great Bruce Mitchell's in the front row. Well, of course. We got to talk about those guys. Oh, I made yes, notes. I made notes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, JB, but when like when I was growing up, whenever on TBS, they'd be always talking about the Great American Bachelor on tour, and it just made it seem like it was like the coolest thing you'd hear about. Ric Flair would be defending the title uh, against his top ten challengers in twelve different cities, and you just you know see it all. And then they in '87 they developed the War Games, and that became a big thing for the Great American Bash. And like a week before this show, they had the big pay per view. But they did, I think, I mean, I mean, according to Cornette, I believe they did, um, what was it? Uh, let me look at my notes here. They did 37 bashes and seven TV tapings over a 43-day period with only two days off. So this seems like a exhausting tournament, I mean, exhausting uh, run sure. for these guys. And they're working their asses off like, with all the gimmicks and, and then the style that the Crockett guys were doing at the time. What were your memories? Because for me, the thing that really stood out was just the Great American Bash on tour. And it seemed like it was like the coolest thing happening at the time. My memories of it, uh, Pete, were the fact that I was like 10 years old and I was wanting to go to the shows. And the closest shows that were coming to me were usually in Cincinnati which was at least, you know, about a uh, about a 45 minute to hour trip and trying to talk my parents or anybody else with the or my cool uncle. Ever had a cool uncle, you know, hopefully that would take you <laughs> to, to the show. But uh, in, in you know, what happened was, you know, for me, it was just kind of, uh, you know, a, you know, a figment of of possibility that I could maybe get to one of those shows. But it never did happen for me. Um you know, that was that was, you know, that was the big downfall. You know, I guess the big uh, downfall being a 10 year old. Obviously, I didn't have anybody cool enough. who was an older friend who had a car or something I could hop in a car with. And you had to rely on your parents. So, you know, pretty much that ended up for me. Yeah, your, yeah parents, your, your parents, your parents were like, listen, you will go to the Louisville Gardens and watch Jerry Lawler fight Boat of the Witch Doctor. And that's what you'll like. Yeah, God you'll damn it. <laughs> or you'll find some or, or some, uh, you know, backwoods outlaw show somewhere that's at a local high school, you know, which were plenty of those in Kentucky for sure. Yeah, I ended up because of how obsessed I became with the bash. I was I was the coolest thing like I was saying was two weeks later, they had one in Houston after the show, something like that. And I got it was my first time I had my driver's permit. And it was the first time my parents let me take the car. Of course, they had to be with me, but let me drive into the city uh, nice. to go to the show. So me and my brother, and then they took the car and went to dinner and a movie or whatever. I think it was just dinner and whatever. Uh, and, yeah, so I got to see it. And well, I'll talk I'll talk about – I mean, I don't have too many strong memories of it because, you know, it all blurs together. But I do remember the main event, which is also a, a War Games match. And the finish differed than the one we're going to be discussing tonight. So I'll talk about it a little bit when we get to that. Um, this show drew a $100,000 house, according to according to Cornette and his uh, notes on the uh, uh, his scrapbook. 
And I just want to read something I found pretty interesting was uh, the 1988 batch tour saw 37 batches, seven TV tapings over a 43-day period with only two days off. And the NWA talent toured from one side of the country to the other back again. The Midnight Express and Jim Cornette surely didn't phone it in going 15 to 20 minutes every night in 31 handicapped bunkhouse matches, four regular tags, five scaffold matches, and eight TV bouts during that time period, with all three being able to walk when it was over. The 88 Bash Tour grossed almost $3 million for Jim Crockett promotion and led to the second guessing among the wrestlers and infighting among the Crockett family over the proposed sales to TBS, especially when business stayed strong and actually improved in some markets after the bashes with the Flair Luger rematches and the brand new Midnight Express was telling an arm program headlining the cards. The Midnight Express and Jim Carnett earned $22,020 each for the series, not matching previous years due to the sheer number of events, but definitely an improvement from the first six months of 1988. And that coupled with their new contracts and the strong houses drawn by their new program with the Horsemen saw them excited going into the fall. 1988 was really kind of like the final year. It's also where, you know, right before they, they, I think a few months later, they ended up selling to, uh, Turner and it becomes uh, World Championship Wrestling. And 89, when they did the Bash Tour, wasn't even close to what 88 was doing. And 88 was in a decline. Um, so the promotion, you know, it, it was hot, you know, dusty. We see, especially if you look at the other bash, uh, Bashes, you see a lot, a lot of hot shining with a lot of blood. I mean, it looked like the, up and down the car besides the opener, everyone had blood in it almost. And here it was protected, uh, really, on this show for pretty much the War Games match. Um, so sometimes you can just burn out of territory. And I think Dusty's booking sometimes do that. And I think kind of sometimes when, like in Memphis, where they went from booker to booker, like every six months you rotate it out. Sometimes you, you keep fresher ideas. Now, Kelly, why do you think maybe the, the booking, do you think it was just the just timing of, of it? it was why they went down? Or do you have any... Any thoughts on this? Mm, well, I don't. I mean, yeah, Dusty had been doing it for quite a while in the Carolinas at this point. And he was still the booker here, yeah. Until yeah. he got, you know, to the big, uh, you know, uh, big angle with the Road Warriors trying to poke his eye out. Yeah. And the Luger Flair match at the Baltimore Bash was actually huge for them because the rematches drew so well. And that, so that yeah. was a great success. I don't know if Dusty was burnt out at this point. Um, this show, we'll talk about it, was a fun watch. Uh, you know, a lot, everybody's, well, not everybody, but most of, of the push guys are over, and the crowd was totally into it. And, yeah, Dusty would have kept going. He was fired. You know, he didn't quit. So Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, even though they did did well, because Arn and Tully were out, out of there pretty yeah. goddamn quick. Yeah. Yeah, there was... Resistance, growing resistance to Dusty, and it looked like it was a, basically a Dusty versus Flair behind the scenes power struggle, basically, right? Yeah, and they also got in a lot of bad luck, like with the Horsemen pretty much disintegrating, um, and then even 
Do they really want to move his to title to Sting? He gets the injury. I mean, it seemed like there was like one thing, and then uh, just try to salvage that. That they turn they had turned Luger a heel, and that's the guy who they were going to set up for Sting's series of matches. This is still in 1990, which is even a couple years down the road. But that they had to make him a babyface. So then when Sting got the belt, he didn't have any ready-made challengers for him. So, I mean, it just seemed like they were having on a really bad, bad luck streak at this point. Uh, JB, do you have any insights into what, what was kind of happening at the time? Well, the only thing I could think of, you know, at this point is, you know, we were talking about is Dusty burned out or not. Um, you know, Dusty may not have been burned out, but the people were sure starting to uh, to feel Dusty. Or yeah. had to feel a Dusty. You know, that's the thing. You know, Dusty may not be burnt, but uh, the people sure are. And, you know, it's, you know, that angle on TBS, of course, you mentioned with the Road Warriors and the Spike, you know, he was told specifically, do not do this. Do not get blood on, 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 on TV here on TBS. And he went ahead and did it anyways. So to me, it was almost like he, he, w- he knew that it was coming to the end and he was going to end it for himself. Yeah. Sounds about right. Johnny P, anything you, uh, any thoughts? No, I don't have anything amazing to add. <laughs> you know? All right, well, let's get into the show. Clearly, a $100,000 house is pretty damn good. Um, and the Bash Tour, I mean, did well. I mean, it didn't do as well as in previous tours. And, you know, it might be because they're in transition, because the cell, you know, because they felt like, it felt like earlier in the year they had built Sting up as the main guy. And now they're transitioning into Luger. They were redoing the Horseman with the Barry Windham turn. So there was a lot of stuff going on uh, to set it up. But right now we open up with Bugsy McGraw and Tim Horner versus Larry Zbysko and Rip Morgan. Johnny P, why don't you start off with this one, man? Why is Zbysko on this show? Does anybody know that? Okay. He was working for the company, wasn't he? He was the yeah, Western yes. States Heritage Champion. <laughs> I did not the really. UWF belt, and they had bought the UWF by this point. Was he ever in the UWF? Though? No. Like, he won it no, after no. that. He won, he won the Barry Windham version of it. Right, right, okay. He had a brief run there where there was the – Baby Doll was his manager. There was a, an angle where they had incriminating photos of Dusty Rhodes, and then he fucked right off back to Vern Gagne. So. Yeah, he also yeah. formed a tag team with Al Perez at one point, yeah. and they uh, had Gary Hart as their manager. Oh, see, I could get down with that, but oh well. So, So the thing I love about the beginning of this is that Rip Morgan decides to do the haka. <laughs> he decides to do the haka, which, if anybody doesn't know, is a traditional uh, native dance of New Zealand. Um, and and uh, I'm going to periodically mention this myth. Noted pro wrestling torch uh, columnist, not journalist, columnist, Bruce Mitchell is in the front row. His front row section D is represented there. John Hitchcock is next to him, I believe. Uh, JB, you can verify that. <laughs> um, and And... He gets Bruce Mitchell, the noted heel fan, to do the haka with him, which I think is really exciting. And it makes him a real bad guy in my book. Well, it, it, it makes him a bad guy in my book because for a white guy to be doing that is amazing cultural appropriation. It's, it's ridiculous. Did you hear me yelling? He's going, Arr, Kuma Tua, Arupa, Arupa, Sasita, Sasita. I'm like, what the f- it, that's gibberish. That's not real. Come I, on. I, I blame the British. That's the, the, the son of a set on the British Empire. There you <laughs> go. 
But uh, yeah, I liked. I thought Zabisco like this. They definitely stuck with these early matches to like keeping people on their times and not doing too much, which I did appreciate. Um, Zabisco, you could tell, had a lot more in the tank at this point. Um, not just like for this point in his career, but I meant, I mean, like he could have. He felt like a guy who like knew he didn't have a lot to do, but was going to make the most out of what he did. And I really appreciated his the way he cut off the ring once they get into it, tagging in, tagging out quickly. I thought he fed the faces at the right times. It, overall, the sense I got out of the match was it was a real abbreviation of the, the classic Southern tag formula. But there, there wasn't a lot to it. It was just like, do that formula, but do it at uh, 2.5 speed. Not not the physical. I you know it wasn't a PWG match, but I just mean the actual match time and how long in between the segments you go. Yeah, right. I hear you. What about you, JB? Where are you feeling on this match? Well, I, you know, the match was a little over seven minutes long. I thought the standouts of the match were uh, number one. Horner is a good Southern babyface. I mean, he takes a lot of flack from a lot of people. Uh, he's not great in any way, but he's solid. You know, he works for any Southern territory. Um, I always love Zabisco in this time period. He's starting to use the quote unquote martial art kicks. You know, the, you know, he's, he's at that, gimmick, he, you know, he had that gimmick coming out of the AWA. He had the nunchucks and things like that. I always like this point in time for Zabisco and Bugsy works, you know, Bugsy's your crazy drunken uncle or that special uh-huh. uncle that, or, or that special, <laughs> yep. or, that, or that special uncle. No one wants to talk about. Yeah. You know? Bugsy, Bugsy McGraw is your uncle who has to uh, knock on all the neighbors doors whenever he moves into a new neighborhood. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's not the cool. That's, uncle. A, that's a charge no. he, he got while working in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Cause I've seen some of those things on a world-class that you guys have been reviewing, of course, with uh, the kids sitting on his lap and things like that in the front row. Oh, I mean, Oh uh, Yeah. A little, uh, a, a little inappropriate for sure. And I thought that also, all, you know, right in the beginning, Teddy Long stands out as a re- great referee. He's very yes. vocal. You can hear him. Uh, Teddy Long is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, the solid, you know, guy there in the ring. It keeps it all together. Um, you know, they go to the hot tag eventually. You know, Horner to to and it, to Horner, but it's really kind of a lukewarm tag. It's really not that hot. You know, just kind of trying to trying to finish the matchup. But like I said, ends with a crossbody. Easy, simple. Seven minutes and ten seconds, I believe, was the finish on that one. All right, cool. Um, Kelly, where are you feeling on this one? Yeah, I'm surprised the time was that long because it didn't feel like it at all. Um, <clears throat> my first note was, oh, fuck, I didn't know Bugsy was going to be on this. Game. I had no fucking idea that Bugsy McGraw spent any time in Crockett. It's, it's like Jimmy Valiant left and Dusty's like, ooh, I need a second yep. rate Jimmy Valiant, baby. Who's, who's That's available? exactly what I thought when I'm watching this. I go, this is Valiant's replay. I know, actually, he tagged with Valiant for a bit at yeah. one point. Too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, of course, Bugsy was a big part of 1982 World Class, and we talked about him a lot. We haven't seen him since, and he's lost quite a bit of weight since early 1983. Five years later, he's a little slimmer. Um, what was the connection with Larry Z and Rip Morgan, if any? Or is this just None. random? None. Okay. Yeah. I think this is the, hey, this is our opener. Uh, we have some big personalities. I think Morgan and Bugsy were the personalities, and Horner and Larry are supposed to carry the work uh, end of it. Yeah. Oh, I love Larry Z. Yeah, he, he was so great here. Um, great heel. And, yeah, I don't have many notes. It, it seemed like it was, like, over in a blink of an eye. And, yeah, but that's fine. That's fine. No need. To yeah, this is your thing. match. 
Johnny, what do you think of this one? Well, you, you, you were saying before there, uh, uh, it's not a PWG match. This is like a, a WAR match. It's like a war match. What the yep. fuck? First thing I wrote down is, what the fuck is this? Larry Zabisco, Rip Morgan, Bugsy McGraw, and Tim Horner. Okay. Okay, sure. <laughs> and now, I, here's the funniest thing. We know, me, me and Pete and Kelly uh, kind of know this, but how old would you guys guess that Bugsy McGraw is here? I think Bugsy's probably in his late 30s. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. 37. I would say 45. Well, I, that's I know just, that's you guys answer. are closer because what we discovered watching World, uh, the 1982 World Class, we're like, he's how old? Because he looks like he's 63. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't help that he went bald so early too. I think that's. What hey, it, so did I. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. But he, but he kept but he kept the you know the uh, you know the wreath of hair you know. To, yeah, yeah. If if he had just shaved his head, then maybe he would have appeared a little younger. Yeah, well, I think he was doing something. Over. I think he was doing something with his beard because in world class that beard was already gray. You know, it, it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, the only thing I have to add about the match is, and speaking of Tim Horner. The only way I could describe it, his sunset flip, it's fucking dope. It's like the delayed sunset flip. He goes up and over and almost seems to pause in midair and then comes right down into it. It's the coolest sunset flip I've ever seen. It's really neat. Yeah, you know, this match, all it is here is there for the opening of the show. We got we got the cool Haka with, with Morgan and I loved actually my favorite part of the match really was Bugsy's reaction to Rip Morgan. And I thought they played off each other really well. And then you had Horner and Larry Z do some spots in there. Um, and then, and there you go. It was a basic tag. Definitely did what you're trying to do is not take away from the bigger matches later on in the show this year. They knew their spot on the card and, and they had so much, it's, it's, it's a kind of relief. You see it here where this is our card. We're building to get more and more excited, and and you'll see, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure when the crowd really felt like they were finally seeing uh, something special, um, but they built to it and made that made that reaction when their big stars finally showed up really big. Then the next match we get Ron Garvin fresh off his heel turn from the Great American Bash last week versus uh, the Italian Stallion Kelly. Man, what are you thinking about this match? Uh, this is actually one of my favorite matches on the show, just for Garvin's heel performance in 45 seconds. It was great stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, he just turned heel on Dusty right at the Baltimore Bash. He has Gary Hart as his manager, but there's already big heat on him. But, I mean, the fans had already turned on him the previous year because he was, you know, deemed unworthy to be NWA champion or whatever. And did you find that fascinating that they actually played that up? Actually, yeah. Kind of, it almost felt like very almost like an internet angle, um, yes. working the crowd in such an obvious way, and they played it here in 1988. Yeah, Pete, it was like it was like it was like the, the version of smart fans then was guys who read the after mags, and it was like they were playing to that because he insists to be uh, introduced as the former world heavyweight champion. Yeah. Fuck you, Stu Sacks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a great touch. Um, but there was plenty of booze for the Italian Stallion, too, so it was almost a heel-versus-heel match here. Uh, and Garvin, I had to check this because I wasn't sure when he left. He's done after the Bash Tour, so he stayed for the, the tour, and then he was gone 
uh, to the AWA, I believe. So we never got a real heel run. Yeah, Garvin. quick stint in the AWA. I mean, pretty much I think he yeah, did a super pay-per-view and did a little build-up to that. And then he was yeah. into the WWF, and he had that great series with Greg Valentine. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, he had other good matches in the WWF. But, my God, I, I, I want to go around before we talk more about the match. Kelly, listen, we're talking to you. You started off with you, Kelly. Would you like to, would you like to see Garvin get, a, like, a six-month run as a heel run here? Oh, totally. He's a natural. Um, I guess in the 70s, he worked heel quite a bit when they did, had the whole Garvin family or brothers thing right. with Terry and Jimmy when Jimmy was really young and they were all blonde haired. So, but there's no, there's hard, like nothing out there of it footage wise. So yeah, he was great. Like he fakes an ankle injury within 20 seconds of the match. And I, I just thought, okay, this is, I didn't think it was going to end so quickly, <laughs> but then he. He rolls up uh, the stallion who bit on the, the fake. Great stuff. Um, yeah, this was awesome. It would have been great to see Garvin uh, go longer as a heel because him and Dusty would have had to have uh, settled business. That could have been really cool. And who knows what else he could have got into with the, the Crockett guys. So, yeah, it's a missed thing because he went back to being a babyface right after. So we, we totally missed out. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. What are you, Johnny? Uh, what are where are you uh, feeling on this on the uh, Ron Garvin? You wish we would have got a little bit bigger run for him here uh, as a heel. Yeah, it could have been fun, but uh, it, it, it was funny because uh, when he when Jimmy first got to the territory, he was the heel and Ronnie was the babyface, and they never didn't acknowledge each other till the angle with the Midnights. Then they're both a brother team of babyfaces, and right now it's a switcheroo. In uh, which brother is the heel and which brother is the babyface. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. That would be interesting because Gar- Jimmy Garvin sticks around a bit longer. I'd like to see that interaction. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Johnny P, now we we have the Garvin Stallion. I know you've seen some of those Garvin-Valentine matches. Mm-hmm. Would, would you like to see the longer run here as a heel? More than the Valentine. I, I don't dislike the Valentine matches. I actually thought they were really cool when I was a kid. And I appreciated them more once I became an adult. But like, yeah, the thought of that, it hadn't really, I hadn't really, I knew, but it never really, really dawned on me. Oh yeah. He would have this like cool run with Dusty. And that seems like, that seems like so much fun. That seems like, like matches that have like passion behind them. Cause I feel like Garvin would have elicited something out of the crowd and you know, Dusty's going to get him up for anything. You know what I mean? He could, he was the type to sell, you know, ice water to Eskimos. But uh, I want to throw my hat in for, for being very pro this match at only one minute. Like, it's it's the best number two match on the card I've seen in forever. And maybe that's kind of an emotional reaction to, like, modern wrestling. But I just love that this guy had a minute. He did, like, eight things, including, <laughs> including them, like, requesting to, like, move rings for no reason. Like, they won't. Yeah. They won't do it in the one ring. They'll do it in the other ring. Well, no, because they were supposed to go back and forth. So, right, right. You know, and so to get heat with the, the newly turned heel, uh, Ronnie Garvin, to get heat goes, fuck you people to the left. I'm staying over here on the right. They probably just didn't want to, like, bump in any scaffolding. I don't blame them. It made, me, it made him a baby <laughs> yeah. face to me. But the, uh, the one thing that I want to want to say here in this spot is that in that one minute, he pretends to hurt his ankle. And he sells that ankle better than 85% of people in modern wrestling right now. I know that makes me, I'm now in, I'm totally embracing the old, the, uh, the old man tropes for wrestling fans, but like 
the way he sold that, I'm like, I would kill to have people who get their leg like hit with an effing sledgehammer or, or whatever. <laughs> sell, sell like that consistently through the match and just figure out a way around it. Even like limping, right? Like running the ropes, like they like their legs gonna fall off and bouncing off of one leg, kind of a thing. I love and I love the the punch and I love the cocky squatting pin. I yeah. just him with Gary Hart could have had so much so much legs. Like ah, this was the coolest, but it also made me sad because I'm like we we need more. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would love to see. I mean, Garvin and Dusty Garvin maybe had a feud with Luger and Sting for the Young Lions trying to build mm-hmm. them up. I mean, yeah, I think mean, I think this thing could have had a lot of legs. JB, uh, why don't you talk? Do you would you like to see Garvin longer here and then talk about the match? Oh, absolutely. Uh, of course, I'm a huge, huge Gary Hart fan. Always have been, always will be. One of the biggest reasons why I'm a wrestling fan today is uh, Gary Hart's promos. Uh, Gary Hart uh, being the ultimate foil for uh, Dusty Rhodes as he was in Florida and then making that happen again here at this time period would have been gold. Uh, of course, we don't get that, as we already know. But uh, a couple of things that Garvin does in this match that I love. First of all, he fakes throwing out the towel gimmick to the fans, mm-hmm. which I love that that's like heel you know, 101 right there working it, you know, and, uh, you know, then also, you know, having Gary Hart right there in his corner, automatic heat, you know, doesn't matter. Those fans are going to be hot. They don't have to know what happened to, to Ronnie. They could attend to that show that night, but seeing Gary Hart there automatically tells them this is the guy we're booing. Um, the fake ankle injury to throw the KO punch. Beautiful. Uh, it's a 45 second match. There's not a whole lot, you know, you really can say he does everything possible in less than a minute. Uh, Hart cuts a quick, effective promo, you know, at the end there to make yeah. sure that it, that, that Ronnie gets over as, as the, uh, the new newest heel in, uh, the NWA. And it's awesome. It's an awesome 45 seconds. It's, it's everything that you'd want in less than a minute in a professional wrestling match. Exactly. Johnny, uh, Sara, where, uh, where do you fall on this, brother? Okay, so we got Gary Hart, we got Bugsy McGraw, and I'm like, what is this, WCCW 1982? <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> no wonder they're selling the fucking so selling the Turner. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, here's the thing. He just turned heel, what, a week earlier? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It wasn't even really teased much on the television. He got teased at the uh, Tower of Doom match of how it was work, how he scrambled through and beat everybody out, which is like totally unbabyface like. And then he comes back and KOs Dusty in his match with Wyndham. Okay, so, so because in this match, there's a little of this is a guy who just turned heel. So maybe some of these people in the crowd were like, wait a minute, Ronnie Garvin's a bad guy now? What the fuck's going on? And number one. The whole uh, hands of stone knockout sitting on the guy, that, that's always been his thing. And when he was a baby face, when he'd do that to, you know, a jobber, I always thought, like, seems like kind of an asshole thing to do. So he's always had a bit of an asshole in him. Um, and uh, But he does this. He does the faking of the throwing the towel and gives it to Gary Hart and boo. But right the next thing he does is he shakes a Stallion's hand to start the match. Like, okay, you know, maybe I've changed management, but now still shake your hand, Stallion. And then, like, t- t- 20 seconds in, he's faking an ankle injury. It's fucking great. But, and the Gary Hart uh, promo also feeds into the fickleness of you fans sort of shit. He's like, you people out there choosing not to support Ronnie Garvin, that proves to me you're just a bunch of hypocrites. 
like that. Uh, that's my favorite shit. It's like, oh, you, you, he was your hero for so long, and then you turned you turned on him. He didn't turn on you. Is what he's doing, and I love that shit. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I absolutely love this. I mean, like you guys already said, like the Garvin, the Garvin heel persona just works here. The towel spot was incredible. And you got to remember, Ronnie Garvin was like rugged Ronnie Garvin. He was like the one-man gang was another thing he used to be called. He was just a tough, tough, double-tough man. And now, what does he have to do? He reverts to an angle, fake angle injury to beat the fucking Italian stallion. Yeah, it's just to be an asshole. It's not not like he was going to have trouble with the stallion. It was just because he's going to be an asshole. Yeah, (laughs) I loved it. Can you imagine this group, say, if Garvin had ended up with them for another year, and then he could have been teaming with, like, with Terry Funk and Muda Ooh. as this freaking roughshod team over the NWA? Which it, 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 it would have been better than the Dragon Master. Yeah, <laughs> definitely better than Dragon Master. I mean, I like Buzz in the group for a bit, but, man, yeah, the uh, I would have loved to see Garvin with that, with him and Terry Funk, or Garvin kind of Muda's muscle. Uh, with Gary Hart going against uh, Ric Flair with the roles reversed with him as yeah. Flair's when Wavy does his babyface run. Well, I, I got I, I saw this, I saw the Starcade match at the Philadelphia Civic Center on the big screens. That was already switched. Yeah, right. Oh, shit, that entire arena was cheering Ric Flair and booing the shit out of Ronnie Garvin. Now Johnny Sorrow, man. The next matchup is Dick Murdoch versus Gary Royal. Why don't you talk about this one, man? Okay, when I, okay. When I saw that <laughs> this was Dick Murdoch and Teddy Long was our referee, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Because the show has no announcing, but the hard mic is right in the ring and at ringside because you're picking up occasional bits of Tony Schiavone saying stuff. Um, uh, uh, Bob Caudle, you hear, we'll get to it a little bit. And it's picking up everything that's being said in the ring. And what's so great about that is to hear that they're putting on a performance for the first two rows because they're so, so much of this show. They're doing all kinds of yapping. In, in one match, you pick up a little spot calling, but uh, there's just a lot of, of jack, jaw jacking back and forth, and the referees going back and forth. I was like, okay, so it's going to be Dick Murdoch and Teddy Long? Is this going to become problematic? I think this might become problematic. And it didn't. It was surprising. and Because at one point they're doing the whole – I Gary's got him in a headlock and Murdoch's grabbing his tights you know, to roll him up and finally uh, Teddy's like, come on Murdoch come on Murdoch, stop, stop breaking the rules you got the man's tights, you got the man's tights and Murdoch, while in the headlock, goes I don't need his tights I was like, this is great, it's like a goddamn comedy routine going on because who gives a fuck about Gary Royal this was all about the interaction between uh, Teddy Long and Dick Murdoch at one point <laughs> He's like, come on, Murdoch, stop breaking the rules. Stop breaking the rules. Teddy Long, Teddy Long's very effective at yelling at Dick Murdoch, but he's not disqualifying for taking him outside, whacking him into the fucking scaffolding. There, and he's just, come on, you know better. And at one point, Murdoch <laughs> yells to Teddy, shut up, you're Savannah. 
I don't know what that means. I've tried to come up with, is that something racial? I don't think so. I, I, had, the same, I had the same note, Johnny, and I think it's just supposed to pop long. It's some Georgia wrestling reference, I think. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, they did. They taped in Atlanta in the morning, so that's maybe oh, Maybe that's it. You're going to be like... <laughs> and but there are people in that crowd who you know don't give a fuck about him being a uh, being a heel. There's a it, it's it's all it's all dudes, of course. It's like when you watch the modern product and you hear a lot of reaction, but the all dude reaction, which is not indicative of the little kids' reaction and everything else. The all dude reaction here was brain buster, brain buster. They were just waiting for the brain buster, screaming for the brain buster, Gary. Yeah, uh, uh, Gary has this brief comeback because Dick's been, you know, uh, t- toying with him. And when Dick's like, well, fuck you, and immediately just beats the shit out of him on his head to the delight of, the, of a lot of the dudes in the crowd. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this because I love the interaction between Murdoch and Teddy. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, John. Uh, Murdoch is easily, to me, one of the best ever when it comes to interacting with like referees i mean i put jake roberts i thought was a master of being bringing the ref into the matches i thought flair was really up there uh with them were, were the three of the guys who i thought were absolutely tremendous when when it comes to interactions with the ref uh jb man what do you think about this match we were talking about Murdoch uh, being, you know, very demonstrative and being able to talk. I think my favorite thing in the whole match was at one point he points over to Tony Schiavone, who's sitting at the desk, and says, "Hey, Tony, this one's for you." Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's that's classic Murdoch, you know, just hamming it up and being able to do it. You know, they always said about, you know, Dick was, you know, it was either he was going to be real serious and make things happen, or it was a Three Stooges routine, you know. And in and this match, it was a little bit of both sides of Dick Murdoch. You know, you got the playful Dick who's out there making himself, you know, just having fun with 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 the match and talking a lot, working like you said with with uh, uh, Teddy Long, um, and then you also got the serious side too, obviously with a great finish, and you know, and also uh, the fact that you know he's out there when they're outside the ring, he's out there using the scaffolding. You know, he's the first one to get involved using the scaffolding on the outside uh, to take advantage of his opponent, and then of course you eventually get to the brain buster. But um, you know, with with Dick Murdoch, I just you know he's a classic. He's a classic. And he's a, and always a, a joy to watch. Exactly. Johnny P, man, what'd you make of the match? I, I liked it, but I'm a big Dick Murdoch, Mark. Like, I feel like this, I, the note that I have is that this was like Murdoch playing with his food. Kind of, <laughs> <because> <laughs> Gary, yeah. Like, I know a lot of people go with the broomstick thing, and I didn't think that Gary Royal was bad enough to call a broomstick necessarily. But it did feel like Dick Murdoch was like, hey, kid, you just sit here and let me have fun with my old friend Teddy over here. And he's like, that's the rep. He's shut up. Hold on a second. <laughs> hold, hold, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on a second. Old friend Teddy? I don't think so. <laughs> right, on, right on. We don't have to get into the, the Butch Reed uh, Dick Murdoch match from, uh, from what you would call it, um, from Watts territory, uh, uh, Mid-South. Uh, but that's a whole other story involving the fans and, and some rumors about Dick Murdoch. Um, yeah, I thought um, – I, I didn't think Royal really established himself as a babyface here. No, not at all. Like, he just was there. He has some, like, weird thing at the beginning, like he's going to be a tough guy. It was kind of heelish. And Murdoch looks at him like, whatever, dude, I'm not like, – Yeah. This is my match. I mean, you're just here to for me to play with. Uh, yeah, like, he made it good. Murdoch made it good, but it wasn't, like, an amazing match. And a lot of it was just, like, 
Stanley Royal was just there. Like I, I enjoyed it for Dick Murdoch. I loved your uh, you play with the food analogy because it's kind of like Murdoch's like, okay, I'm working Gary Royal. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to play with Teddy because he's a much better worker. Right, and I'll get right. a bigger reaction. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly, I, I love that analogy. And, and Gary Royal basically is is Jake Millman in the AWA without the uh, charisma. Without the, Without the like the little bit of charisma, yeah. I mean, he looks like an he's like one of the world's ugliest baby faces in, in the eighties. Um, what about you, Kelly? Where are you falling on this man? Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going with the praise on Murdoch. I love him too. He's one of my favorites from the last five to ten years. Just watching him in random matches, he's always fun. But was he a heel here, or was he in the middle of turning yes. face? No, no, no. He had already turned heel on Dusty at this point. I think. Because at the end of the tour, he's teaming with Dusty and Luger. So, oh. yeah. But, yeah, I think he kind of was still a heel here. But I was just wondering if there was something coming up on TV where there was an official turn. Um, or maybe he was like a substitute in that match at the end. But no, or I see. Or is this one of those matches he's in limbo before the turn? He's, no, he's teaming with Sting in Seattle in August. He's going <laughs> against Garvin. Who's a heel now, of course. Uh, so yeah, there was a, some some sort of turn somewhere. Uh, yeah, the but, crowd the crowd gives no indication for the record for anybody who's listening to us yeah, and doesn't yeah. want to watch this. We don't know. Yeah, and like uh, Johnny P said, Gary Roll's not a sympathetic face at all. He's, he's his face literally is is a heel face. Like he shouldn't be a baby face. And he was usually under a mask, right? He was. I, I would hope so. The cruel connection and and the gladiators. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was. With, with George South. Um, and to continue with the world-class or world-cast connection, in 1985, he defeated Art Cruz, oh. who's a, um, came come into the territory in Dallas lately on, on regular world-cast in a hair <laughs> match So in Central States. So that was maybe his career peak, winning a hair match against Art Cruz. Well, it's a main event in any arena, Jess. <laughs> it was a main event in Central <laughs> States, probably, to 200 people. Uh, but it felt here, though, wouldn't you say Murdoch felt more heelish because he was using the, you know, the uh, yeah. scaffolding? He was clearly a heel. He was clearly yeah, exactly. a heel. And, yeah, and jawing with the referee. Yeah, baby faces don't do that. Even though Teddy Long would, unless this was like extreme foreshadowing on Teddy Long's heel turn as a referee. It could be. He was letting him get away with everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I love, of course, Murdoch's the first one to use the scaffolding. Just like if it was Terry Funk, Funk would have done the same thing. Exactly. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, Murdoch had a very vocal following in the crowd, though. I made that note. Basically an extended squash. Yeah, really great stuff with Murdoch's antics, as always. And then this leads us over here, JB. We get Jimmy Garvin versus Rick Steiner. This is actually a really hot angle with Sullivan and Jimmy Garvin, and especially Precious. And we get to see a little bit of that towards the end. But when we talk about the match in the end, the post-match uh, stuff. Well, first of all, it's uh, it's not Kelly's favorite uh, sunshine, but it is no. Precious in this case. But uh, <laughs> we do have, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, or, or sunshine too, as you will, as you would hear, <laughs> uh, Precious. <laughs> Um, but we, we got Rick Steiner versus Jimmy Garvin here. Um, you know, the match starts off, you know, 
really big with a huge, huge Steiner line by Rick Steiner out of nowhere, just taking Jimmy's head off. Uh, it was om- it was almost before the bell in in some ways. But like you said, Pete, it quickly you know devolves into this big angle with Sullivan coming out and the Varsity Club, and he's trying to grab Precious and take her with him, and God only knows where he's going with her. Uh, but you know it you know quickly you know just kind of falls apart. And goes into what could be described as a flash inside cradle for a win in like yeah. a little over a minute, a little over a minute. But it's a hot, quick angle taking you, you know, it's totally different. The pacing's different, you know, than that Murdoch match. So it's something that brings the fans back up after Murdoch kind of just was playing with his food as, as uh, Johnny P so eloquently put, you know, in that, in that last, last match, which is about seven minutes long. And this match is only a little over a minute. So it quickly brings the fans right back up. So it's excellent pacing, excellent, put, uh, you know, place for a match like this. Yeah. So we have two matches so far on the show, folks, with just each under like under a minute for say, or close to it. And we get a shitload of story development out of it. It's absolutely amazing here uh, with the Garvin match. And, and well, the other Garvin, the two Garvin matches, Ronnie yeah. and Jimmy, uh, both advancing their, their angles uh, and then with getting a payoff for working. Look, they were flying their sweat. They were flying their own plane out of there. They're both pilots and they needed to get the fuck out of there because there was a storm coming. I was oh, gonna say there must smart. have been a there must have been a wedding in the morning somewhere else, and they were like, well, "We got a we got we got a minute each, and we got to be out of here by intermission." <laughs> oh. Speaking of Johnny Starr, what do you finish? What do you think of the match? Uh, uh, well, this was the returning Jimmy Valiant from something or another, and the crowd is hot for Jimmy Valiant because throughout this uh, this footage. So you'll see on world uh, world class and a lot of stuff now they just cut entrances instead of putting in dubbed music uh, on a lot of the stuff now. But the entrances and the pops during the show you couldn't you wouldn't want to edit out. So that's why we hear a lot of dub stuff. But the pops are even drowning out some of the dubbed music for some of these guys who are really over Jimmy Valiant. Oh, Jimmy Valiant. Yeah, he's over with me, people. Uh, Jimmy <laughs> Garvin is amazingly over here as a babyface. People forget, you know, when he turned babyface in Crockett, and I've told the story a million times, but I, but when he turned babyface in Crockett, people loved him. They were super into uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. And uh, again, I will mention for the, uh, the normal listeners of the show, Jimmy Garvin, I think, is one of the most underrated guys ever. Yes, the new Freebirds was the fucking the worst thing ever, but gorgeous Jimmy Garvin you know, on his own is, I think, amazingly underrated. And so here comes Sullivan. And now here's another, here's another thing underrated, the Varsity Club, the original Varsity Club before it got watered down. Who was in the fucking, it was Dan Spivey. And Dan fucking, Spivey, yeah. who, who played football in the 70s for Georgia. Yeah, okay. So like, <laughs> That's the, right. So, so at he that point, out of a pawn shop, man. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, but the original, but Rotunda and Steiner is the young yeah. guy. Rotunda is the leader, and then Doc. Eventually, I'm like, that's an awesome gimmick. I mean, of course, Jim Ross was on the booking committee at this time. That got to be his fucking idea. And, but it was great. And here's the only thing that sticks out like a fucking sore thumb about the Varsity Club. If Kevin Sullivan is the 
become, why the fuck is he still running around in a devil's robe? Should he be dressed like John Tolos as the coach? Should he be a fucking coach? I, I, have, a, I, have, I have a in the dying area, brother, yeah, so I don't know, man. I have a theory about that, actually. Let's hear it. It looks well, fucking dumb. I've always thought that it was kind of, he was supposed to be this evil guy who's trying yeah. to trying to persuade these young athletes and manipulate them kind of to join your society, kind of a skull and bones kind of thing. You know, yeah, where, yeah. Uh, I can, and that's, that's what I think they're going for. Now, does it work? No. Not really, but no, there it, is, a, there is sometimes on the TBS show where Sullivan comes out and he's wearing like a, a Boston university or a Boston college yeah. sweatshirt okay, so during, this, during this time period. But yes, once he comes out with the, you know, with the, you know, the gimmicked up, you know, hooded cloak, you know, with the, uh, yeah, with with the moon, with the blood drip, yeah. dripping off the moon on the back of it. Yeah, it, it's a bit much. Well, and he's not wearing any fucking devil makeup. He's got a gray gym shirt on underneath the fucking robe. What? Uh, I, ha- I I hated it the first time I saw it. I go, that, that doesn't make any sense. Do you make him a coach of some sort? He he can still be fucking Kevin Sullivan. You know he's supposed to be a psychopath. Uh, the uh, it always stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and I always I got it where they felt like he was trying to manipulate these weak-minded athletes who aren't as smart as the When you say weak-minded young athletes, Mike Rotundo is the leader. He's not young here by any stretch. Yeah, I, but as, as a kid growing up, I always, like, it was like Sullivan stuck out like a sore thumb. Mean. And at this point, I had not watched Florida footage, so I had no rec- no reference point. So you have no going. idea. You have yeah, no I idea. I watching this, I'm like, this is a kick-ass group, really cool gimmick, but I have no idea why they're following around with a guy in a robe with devil horns painted on him. <laughs> ah, that's and, funny. And it was just bonkers to me, man. Um, Johnny P, man, what do you think of the match? Yeah, I always took because it, it does look hilarious. Like later on in one of the matches we're going to discuss, he he attacks somebody and then he like turns away before Tommy Young looks. And his, his robe flips over his head, and he just looks like he doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. The, I always thought this is the same thing JB did, or, or I had heard the, the theory elsewhere that it lines up perfectly. Now, I had always thought of this as, like, some kind of, like, you know, Christian fundamentalist, like, Midwestern greatest fear of, like, this guy who gets your, like, it's like you're, a cult almost. Yeah, yeah. Like you, your boy's away from home and he gets him to be like gay for pay and into Satan and everything that like your your <laughs> like hard right like conservative Midwestern farmer is afraid of. He is he is how I get him hooked. I introduce <laughs> him to play Dungeons and Dragons in the dorm room. Thing, you know. The Ouija board comes out. The Ouija bad. <laughs> Ouija bad. Man. <laughs> This is, uh, to be fair, on, on commentary, Ross and Shivani at the time were kind of uh, hooking that reference point up where uh, Sullivan had manipulated these athletes. Yeah, that's totally what it was. It was totally yeah. manipulation. So this match is kind of like the exception to the rule for me because uh, we joked before like about but you know each of the short matches was the Garvin match and it was in the front of the card. I don't know where you really move this. I guess you could have moved this later or to, or I would say like, oh, just take it off the card. But like we've already kind of talked about why it should have been on. It was a hot like the crowd reacts. It's a TV angle as well. Um, it's not just a match thrown on there. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it gets the, the varsity club in there earlier and they're going to be on the card later. 
Uh, but it's the exception that proves the rule because usually you would just keep the first Garvin match. Like if you looked at these two matches, you'd probably say, ah, just, just do the one with Ronnie. But I get why you would put this on here and buffer it with the, the Murdoch match. Um, having said that, like, I mean, there's not much to it. Like Steiner starts with a thick clothesline. You know, he just looks like every meathead football player who could kill you. Like right. come, come to like that, that fear come to real life. That like 15 year old skinny boy fear. Um, and otherwise, you know, they, they do the interplay with, with, um, it's precious. Right. And, uh, and and then they get out of there quick, which is good. Like I appreciated that, that there wasn't as much to the match. The only, I was just looking for some fun, like Jimmy Garvin, like vamping around stuff. Otherwise like fine. And this was, this was before, hold on. This was before, this was before Steiner, um, uh, became like ogre, and he was like supposed to be brain damaged, and that's he was he was a heel doing that, but his gear didn't match and all that shit, you know. Right here, he's just like you described. I'm just gonna murder you, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's kind of awesome here, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, and as a reference point, on I know on the July second Great American Bash match show, they had a Jimmy Garvin versus Kevin Sullivan blindfold match. And, but they had a, like yeah. a called it the Prince of Darkness match. So the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, what do you think of this, man? Uh, I, I thought this was going to be the first long match of the show, right? Because everything's been going by so fast, <laughs> and then this mm-hmm. one just ended super quick too. And then I made the note: wow, they're not wasting any time at all on the undercard, and that that's great. Uh, there's nothing for me worse in today's wrestling than like an epic long four or five hour show that, that's just horrible so this is going at a great pace yeah, yeah. and garvin ate the massive clothesline right from the start that was awesome has been mentioned and yeah we've pretty much mentioned everything other than again going back to Worldcast, the regular timeline in dallas we're just we just reviewed the debut of precious right she hasn't even been named yet yeah and now here we are here we are on the, at the end of it, basically, because I don't think it lasts too much longer, right? The Garvin Precious connection, because by '89, Garvin's just solo in the the horrible version of the Freebirds. She'd pop up here and there. Um, yeah, but in '92, she's there for Freebird Enterprises. Oh, really? Anyway, yeah, so we're seeing the the opposite, the the beginning and the ending, the Alpha and the Omega of the Garvin Precious. <laughs> precious uh, relationship within a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this too. I mean, I love the stiff ass clothesline from Steiner. And then I like the bombs. They both ruined in each other. I just remember the angle eventually. Yeah, I remember they, 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 they try to make it clear, not clear, but they try to insinuate that precious is under Sullivan, some spell of Sullivan. And he's able to like do like some hypnosis on her and stuff. I use my powers to hypnotize amateur athletes and and middle-aged strippers. <laughs> and he, oh, and he, he would reference her as Patty too, and call her by her real name on TV, which was yeah, that's right, exactly. Oh man! But then the next matchup. This is a match that everyone gets super over, and it finally feels like okay. Now the show is hitting into high gear, and we get the Rock and Roll Express versus the Sheep Herders. Uh, Kelly, what do you think of this one? I really like this one. 
I was anticipating it. You know, uh, R and R's are great at this time. Sheep herders were pretty great too. And I've never seen this matchup before. Um, yeah, and, and so the R and R's had left right at the beginning of the year. Was it like abruptly or? Anyway, they were gone in like January, but they came back just for the tour. Actually, I checked this this morning. Oh, yeah. Well, Robert Gibson quits right after this tour for a shitty ass payoff. Not even at the end of the tour. Gibson leaves. His last appearance is July twenty seventh. Okay, during the then, tour then. Okay, during the tour, and Brad Armstrong takes over. And where did he uh, go? I don't know, and I, I, I was going to ask somebody here tonight if they knew, because I don't know. I know, I know the Rock and Roll Express are in the AWA for a cup of coffee, and... Yeah, but Ricky, just, still, yeah. Ricky stayed I, around I, until September of 88, teaming with Brad Armstrong, and also feuding with Ivan Koloff. Did Robert go back to the Gulf Coast and just kind of hang out in Pensacola and wait and wait that out until Ricky was ready to leave again, and they go to the AWA, or did he, did he work anywhere in between? I don't know. I didn't check. I should have checked that, but I didn't. Um, it yeah. seems odd that they would split up, but like, yeah, at this point in time, well, something that serious well, must no, have happened. Well, that kind of explains one of the biggest thoughts I had here, because I was like, oh, you're going to have a tear. Number one, I was like, rock and roll, we're still here? And that explains that. They came back just for the store, because mm-hmm. Dusty needed to fill the store. That's why you have all these magic. Yeah, granted, they're all short. And begin, but it's like it's the Great American Bash tour, baby. Ten matches from top to bottom. You know, you, that's how you fucking promote it. You need more talent, so we, the rock and rolls come in to make some money on a, a bash tour. That makes sense. And then they're there just to make money. And Gibbs is like, "Motherfucker, you're not giving me my money," and fucking take the fuck off. That makes perfect sense because no promotion needs the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics at the same time. Nope. Because I, I was thinking, what the fuck is going on here? You know, yeah. so that clears it all up. Well, and also, also when you say they don't need both at the same time, also the Fantastics are kind of getting phased out. I mean, they work a little more, but their their push is kind of out the window after this. Uh, right, right. But then as things get into Turner uh, owning them, you know, the Fantastics keep, kind of end up taking that rock and roll spot. Right. I think so. if, I, I think if Gibson stayed, the Fantastics would have been shown the door. Yeah. I don't think so. Not at this point. Not as the, I, don't, I think at this point they're going to go with uh, the, the 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 more muscular guys. Oh, see, I thought I'd, I well, we'll pass this one around okay. because my take would be that the Fantastics just finished their program with Midnight Express. Where are they heading next? Maybe with the Sheep Herders. And I feel like at this point the Rock and Roll Express had been out of Crockett, and now they're more of the fresher team. So Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, well, they'd started a feud with the Sheep Herders in January, in early 88, before they left. So they picked up right again right here. Um, I think, yeah, they were brought back for the tour. I don't know. Um, in hindsight, we can see that the whole, you know, blowjob babyface team thing was dying. And the fans were starting to turn on them. Like, the Fantastics, by the end of 88, are getting booed. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty much over. It was stale. Um so, but I also yeah. think Dusty also always viewed the rock and roll as more money than the Fantastics. He made more money. Oh, yeah, and they were. And the crowd here, I'll go into the magic crowd, just loves them. Mm. They're, they're totally one of the most over acts on the show. Um, double dropkick party 
We got so many. Some of them weren't connecting very well, especially by by Ricky. He was getting like a, a toe on uh, the sheep herders at some point, but whatever. Um, like I said, I really like this match. Long shine by the Rock and Rolls to start, and Gibson finally they finally get heat on Gibson the sheep herders. Um, huge double cross body by Gibson to a big pop. Huge pop for the hot tag. Um, all four, four men are brawling. Uh, Tommy Young loses control, basically. And in the chaos, Ricky comes off the top rope with a huge crossbody on Luke for a huge pop. I put uh, three and a quarter stars in this one. Uh, I Yeah, it, it, it was pretty much, you know, for, for something that's not a feature match, not a main event, it wasn't going to get a ton of time. So I think it was just right. And uh, outside of some of the double drop kicks not being as crisp as they usually uh, were, uh, this was a pretty good match, really good match. And the crowd didn't even give a shit about that, tell you the truth. No, of course um, not. What about you, JB? Where do you what do you think of the match? And do you think uh, their original plan was to get rid of the Fantastics and keep the rock and roll, or vice versa? I'm not really sure on that because you got to remember they're also uh, running the kind of the dual tag teams here with uh, the mm-hmm. world titles and the U.S. tag team right. titles. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, so there's, it's, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's hard to say if there if there was going to be anybody who was disposed of in particular. Um, but with this match itself, huge opening pop, obviously for the R and R crowds going nuts. So even though this is the kind of dwindling days of their run. Um, they're still getting the huge pop. This is the first match we see Tommy Young as referee as well, mm-hmm. uh, so that's significant. Uh, meaning, you know, if Tommy was showing up, you know, it was it was one of the bigger bigger matches on the card. And um, instant heat right at the beginning. Crowd is going nuts. Um, the aforementioned front row section D saluting the New Zealand flag. Yes, and, and getting, oh, me to it. Yes, and getting you know getting heat with the crowd itself. And if you you know, of course, Johnny P and myself. You know, know a lot of the stories of front row section D just because we've we've had interactions with with Bruce and Hitch and the, the crew there and the, heard the stories. But they are getting legitimate heat with the females in the crowd who are cheering for Ricky and Robert. At the end of the match, there I'd is imagine something... those guys got uh, legitimate heat from the females in the crowd when they walked through the door. So for multiple reasons, uh, but. <laughs> But, you know, I thought that, you know, uh, Morton gets on the mic, you know, and, and, and starts talking as well and, you know, cuts a promo yeah, on the guys. And, um, you know, Morton tells tells him essentially to kiss his ass, which is great, you know, yeah. to get the to get the crowd fired up. Um, I thought they, they hit all the signature spots early on. The, the rock and roll hit the dosi do and get the dual drop kicks, drop kicks all around, like Kelly said. Um, you know, they eventually get to the heat on. He segment on Ricky, beat down on Ricky, fights back, you know, eventually get Gibson back into the ring. They're fighting all over the place. Um, and, you know, Tommy Young at this point's lost control of the match in many ways. Um, Morton eventually gets that high cross body to finish it off. And at the end of the match, I want if you if you've not seen this part, I want you to go back and look at it after we're finished with the show. But there is this lady and she is flipping off front row section D with both birds she is yelling and pointing at Mitchell and that crew and flipping them off because I guarantee they said something 
terribly offensive about Ricky at some point at that point in the match. And she's looking, she's looking right at him, flipping him off and just calling him everything into the, you know, everything that she possibly could say, you know, within that few seconds there. But if you rewind the match towards the end, they get that little clip of the, in the crowd. I paused it and you can see it double birds. Okay, right now let me just add this, and I'm not going to go into it, and you all know we talked about it. Some guys could be cheering for the heels against the rock and rolls and do quite well with the ladies. Just saying. Hey. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, pl- cheap plug there. Um, no, it, it, it was not a cheap plug. There was a bet involved. <laughs> I think it was, there was a cheap plug for her. Um, That's hey, true. Hey, hey. <laughs> what did you make of this match, Johnny P? I got to follow all of that. Okay, first of all, I'm pissed off at this Will Helmick Memorial Roundtable um, uh, ran- <laughs> randomizing of – because I thought I would have gone first on this one, and I didn't. And then JB beat me, and he had better content than my notes about Mitchell and Hitchcock doing the salute. But I will say I loved it in the Crockett territory. I guess this is Dusty directed. It's like in two separate matches, he's like, you know what gets a lot of heat? People from New Zealand who love New Zealand. Just go hard on it. Go hard on it, boys. Because they're really pushing it. And it's the stupidest thing ever. Because me and my buddy Joey, if we'd been at at the show in Philly, we would have been doing the same thing. We've been saluting and everything. And if anyone yelled at us, we'd be going, They're our allies. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the the gimmick is back non plus when that happens. Like, what what do you mean? Uh, so the match, you know, it had the basic formula for the first few minutes uh, with the rock and roll baby face shine. They, they kept doing the, I'm glad it got out of that because they did like they would always end up doing a double team moving out, out thinking them. And they the sheep herders powdered out like three times before they got into the heat. Uh, some things that I did notice, Ricky Morton doesn't actually play a lot of Ricky Morton in this is the, the old face and peril thing, which I kind of thought was cool. Oh, this is Bob, this is Robert's night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the sheep herders felt – I know this sounds like it's a m- minority opinion, and I liked the match, but the sheep herders were very uh, into their bushwhackers period at this point. And I say that just because I was hoping this was the tail end of sheep herders like the Portland run in the early 80s kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, not that it was like I'm – not, I'm not trying to – for those of you who haven't watched it, it's not like all of a sudden they're – I don't know. Not, not that he's the greatest worker in the world, but just like it's not like they're dynamite kid or something. Uh, it's not like they're Ricky Morton. It's not like a complete like character switch. They're not like actors going for something different. But they did feel a little just kind of like paint by numbers, follow along, and like barely keep up kind of a thing. Because this is the match that Vince saw and went, I got an idea. Yes. Oh, yes. He's like, God damn, pal. Call him. God damn it. Meet me by the. I thought these were a bunch of blood and gut ass, guts assholes. These were obviously baby faces who I want to <laughs> lick children. Yeah. Pat, fly him up and, and let, leave the door unlocked. Tell him to meet me by the pool. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see kids getting licked. I, that's what I want to see. Um, yeah, the match had twists and turns. Uh, it, it, it has momentum changes, but I did think it was a real testament to the Rock and Roll Express that that Crockett had these like semi business exposing heel act, and the Rock and Rolls got this whole match not only over, but it's a decent match. It's not just that it's over. It's it's fun. It's a good match. It's a legitimately good match, yeah. Johnny Sorrow, man. Other Johnny. What do you think of this, brother? All right, so uh, I can't remember. I always get Butch and Luke mixed up every fucking time. But whoever was on the mic uh, while they were doing all the stalling, 
while I was writing down, there are allies. It's so silly. He gets on the mic. He goes, listen here, you Yankee scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good shit. And and then he he goes on and on about shit. A lot of just nonsense. But then he's describing the Rock and Roll Express. He's like, and what we're going to do to them long-haired, music-loving scumbags from the USA. And then Ricky Morton gets on the mic. He's like, Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something for the Rock and Roll Express and the nice people here in Greenville. So obviously he was just confused. <laughs> Given the details you gave of how many nights this tour was, no wonder he was confused. He's like, well... This is in Greenville, whatever. We got something you can kiss. And points at his hand. Because <laughs> Rick and Morton don't Rick and Morton doesn't work blue, baby. You can <laughs> <laughs> there's, only one, there's only one man on this roster who's allowed to work blue, and you'll see him in the main event. Hello? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And here's the thing. And here's the other thing. The spot where, where, where one of the sheep herders spits on Ricky Morton. And that was for Ricky Morton to come in. And that's when the, the whole double, the, the, the hot tag happened and turned around and Robert did the, the cross body on both of them, which then led into the finish. I bet you that was like the only thing they discussed backstage. Oh, mate, when I spit at you, that's when we get into the finish. Okay, good. And that's all they called. I, I thought this was fantastic. And I want to go around uh, the panel and ask each of you, just without detail, just tell, tell me who. Who do you think is better? The Rock and Roll Express or the Rockers? Pete. Oh, Rock and Roll Express. Kelly. Oh, that's a tough one. Years ago, I, I put the Rockers ahead of them in a yeah. in a listing of top tag teams, but yeah, I don't know. I've seen a lot of Rock and Roll Express lately, or more than the Rockers, and and they're so good. And they were the originals, so I got to go with the Rock and Roll Express. All right, JP. Rock and Roll Express. And JV. R and R. What's that? R and R Express. All right. Okay, so we're all agreed. Okay. Whenever I see that, I go, that's the beginning of the fandom that was all about moves uh, right there. Because I'm like, mm, no, because the Rockers were barely a blip. You know, they're big in the AWA and they were a mid-card tag team in the WWF. That's how I always looked at them. Where Rock and Roll Express were top guys, you know, in Mid-South and Crockett, you know, top of the line. So, anyway. I just wanted to get that in. It's like fuck, fuck the Rockers. <laughs> ah, but the Rockers are fucking awesome too. No, the Rockers were, but yeah, they, yeah. they weren't the Rock and Roll. The Midnight. Yeah. Hey, you know, you start out as the Midnight Rockers. I was like, you're ripping off two names. Come on. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of good matches. They don't have yeah. nearly like the body of work that the Rock and Roll Express have. I mean, so here, so here's my only Rockers. Not to get off on a tangent, but here you go. My, the only rocker stuff that I legitimately like is them and uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers in the AWA. And any other rockers matches, I don't give a fuck about. You don't like the, the Oriental? Uh, no Bad Company? No Bad Company? I never saw them versus Bad Company. What about Oriental Express? It's Asian Express. Come on. Oh, is it? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Just trying to be. 
you know, just, you know, uh, want to no, no, they had a ton of great matches in the WWF, actually, with all those great tag teams at the time. But Kelly and R and the Powers of Pain, even yeah, the yeah. Foundation, yeah. Yeah, Powers of Pain match at MSG in 1990 is, is amazing. But, yeah, they didn't draw money um, because, well, the AWA is dying, and in the WWF they weren't in that position. But anyway, this is sidetracking things. But no, I, I'm a huge fan of both. The Rockers were, when I was a kid, I loved the Rockers. They, they were almost a be-all and end-all at one point for me. I was a huge, huge fan of theirs. So that's clouding my judgment in a lot of ways. So, Kelly, let me just, let me just add this. Fuck your childhood. The Rockers <laughs> I was can- I'm Canadian. I couldn't see Crockett, man. We've gone over this before. I'm kidding. We yeah. got AWA. <laughs> I'm sure if you got the magazines and you looked at the both of them in pictures, you go, well, of course the Rockers are the better team. Exactly. At- that was the poster the put on my wall, not the Rock and Roll Express with Gibson's fucked up eyes and shit. No, you wanted the sexy boys on your wall. I get it. I had Chris Adams on my wall in his white uh, trunks. My friend. Yeah, but but, but the, the debate has become a lot more popular now, and they use the Fantastics a lot because they're more work ready. And I think that's you know it's more the more modern fans I think uh, uh, are appealed more to the rockers and the fantastics type of work yeah. as opposed to the, the rock and roll express. But it's just you know completely different wrestling fans I think. Uh, but, but all the teams are great. Um, I, I I really enjoyed this match too. I'm with you, Kelly. I gave it three and a quarter. I thought we had a really good fun shine, really good. Um, uh, a shine structure, good solid heat. Um, I, I liked how they, uh, the sheep herders focused on Gibson's ribs. Uh, I really thought the crowd really came alive for this match. Uh, this got by far the biggest reaction so far of the, of the evening. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express still have some juice in them. Really fun finish. And, you know, like Johnny P was talking about earlier, uh, about how Gibson was playing face imperial here. Ever since uh, they're building Morgan for a singles run in '86, I believe it was, yeah. he uh, the, Gibson became that face imperial for the Rock and Roll Express for that uh, two or three year period in Crockett. Uh, but then later on, it would morph back into Morgan playing the, the face imperial. But mm-hmm. but it is interesting because Gibson was a pretty damn good face imperial too. Our next matchup is Al Perez versus Brad Armstrong. Johnny P, take it away, brother. I love this match from the jump. Just for the, it, it had like what I describe as controlled and detail-oriented struggle. Like it was a struggle, but it was about these little things. Like Brad Armstrong had to have arm control and the wrist lock, and he was holding on to that thing like a dog with uh, with a bone. And I love that. And uh, I also got a kick out of the fact that the pivot point. So they do a few minutes of this struggle thing. And uh, and Al Perez keeps acting like, I'm going to punch you in the face. And Brad Armstrong's just like, no, you're not. You're standing right there. No, you are. And uh, the pivot point is that they go for a break in the corner. And, like, I'm waiting for something really dastardly from the evil Gary Hart. And he just kind of, like, slaps Brad Armstrong in the thigh, and he's like, hey, daddy, or something. And, like, he's, yep. <laughs> that's it. Brad Armstrong is like, I can't fucking believe this guy would do this to me. And he just has to chase him. And I love that that was the moment of distraction. of It's like a distraction of annoyance. Um, what else? Oh, Perez, I, I'll throw this out to the group. I have only one more note after this one. Mm-hmm. Perez, 
I, I watched him a bunch in world class and then like he'll pop up here and there, like stuff like this. And I've always thought Perez, like, why was this guy not a star? And I, I, I think if he had some verbal skills and knew how to work a crowd and then something dumb, like one or two like signature spots and they can be heel spots, but something where you're like, 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 uh, like, like Kurt Hennig, when he did the, the, he would run and do the neck snap thing where he would do a flip. Yeah. And, and then he would just kind of like slap his hands together, like easy, easy work, like combining those two things. If Perez had that plus some like crowd working skills, I think he's a decently sized to big star in the early 90s. What say you guys? I well, can buy uh, that, especially uh, getting in, in the 80s, 90s, you know, you had more of the ethnic ethnicity thing going where you were getting more of a push with the Hispanic crowd, especially when you had Eddie and Mysterio and those guys. So I, I could buy that, but he just he just lacked that it factor, though, for him. Yeah. He looks like he could be something, but. Well, I'd say that because they introduced him as the Latin heartthrob. And the thing is, he's a good looking guy. You know, he's got great facial expressions and he's a good looking guy and he's good at jaw jacking in the ring. So he can talk there. They could have translated that into promos and really lean hard into the the, the Latin heartthrob uh, stuff. You know, Alvarez could have been great, but not everyone can do that. You know, so, and obviously he couldn't. So yeah, but he also has the, he also has that Roberto Gibson wandering eye as well. So you know, <laughs> you know that's that's that that's his what that is one downfall for his looks. But the guy seriously right now, if they wanted to book him wherever he is, he could be Seth Rollins' illegitimate father. I was going to make a Colby Lopez joke slash reference. I'm going to tell you right now, that guy, they could book him right now as his illegitimate father or his uncle or something. I mean, it would work. uh, It would work. And I think they honestly, I think they just found him. He's going to show up at StarCast coming up. Really? Yeah. well, they had Bunkhouse Buck as Jack Swagger's dad in WWF. Why not Alvarez as Seth Rollins' dad? I'd be like, that, that makes me interested in Seth Rollins. <laughs> I want to throw out this one last note. The the pin, the finish, uh, like, what is it, like eight months later, they do the exact same finish for the, the, the Rick Rude versus Ultimate Warrior match at WrestleMania 5. <laughs> and in the heart place, it's it's Bobby Heenan. And I thought that the Heenan version was more dynamic and it actually looked more fluid. But I'm wondering, is this the first? This, this can't be the first time that was a finish. No, 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 no. no. The, the no, manager. No, no. No, no, no. That's old, a tale as old as time. Okay, because I don't remember. I've seen a lot of 80s footage. I don't remember this finish, but that doesn't mean I haven't seen this finish. Jimmy Hart did that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, of course Memphis would have had to do this finish. All right. right. That's what I got. All right. What about you, JB? What are you feeling on this one? First of all, the match starts off with a huge pop. You can hear the women popping for both guys. You know, so in in the crowd. So, um, you know, Hart's talking mad shit, you know, the whole time, just, you know, which I love, you know, building it up. I look at this. This is the battle of the curly mullets. You know, (laughs) know, uh, outstanding wrestling, you know, Best match for, you know, just the wrestling aspect of professional wrestling so far on the on the card, I think, Uh, you know, B.A. works, Uh you know, the left arm really well. Um, Hearts hearts perfect with his interference, you know, walks inside the scaffolding, 
you know, to set it all up in, in mm-hmm. between. And then, you know, Al attacks, you know, from there. And then, you know, um, I thought the most impressive move of the match was Perez doing like the, the whirly bird where he takes, you know, Brad <laughs> up on his shoulders and kind of does the spin around and drops him. You know, uh, later on, we would see Sid do that, of course. And but, uh, you know, definitely uh, a great move there. And of course, you know, being what it is with the interference from Hart was done well. Where are we feeling on this one, Johnny? Sorry. Okay, I'm glad you said Whirly Bird because what I wrote down was that spinning razor edge thing you do, you know, because here's the funny thing. Brad Armstrong, who we, we've always heard all these stories about how funny he is, but it never came across on TV backstage. He's funny. They say he's funny in the ring. The microphone is on him during this. He's fucking funny. When he's about to take the whirly bird, he yells, I hate this. <laughs> it, it goes boom. I'm like, that's great. That's fun. Um, and they were jaw jacking with each other. And then it also picked up at one point. Brad said, like something like, you were supposed to do this. Yeah, I know. I know. And he heard that from Al. And then they went into uh, stuff. But this was, yeah, these were two late 80s, perfect looking wrestlers. And I when I when I first saw it come up, Al Perez versus Brad Armstrong. And I've not, I've not seen a lot of Al Perez, to be perfectly honest, but I know enough of the reputation. And I went, I wrote down, well, this should be a perfectly serviceable ex- exhibition of the professional wrestling. <laughs> I, did, I, I, I know everything's going to be fine. I don't know if it's going to be any you know, gripping, but I know it's Brad Armstrong. I know Al, Al Perez is a good worker and, those guys will put on a perfectly fine exhibition of the wrestling with with, with arm, arm drags and this and that. And then when it turned into the full heel shit, I got into it. I was really digging it. And uh, also with Tommy Young here, and here's the thing. wasn't Tommy Young is now the referee for the rest of the matches. You know, t- Teddy Long has his place in the opening card referee. And now it's all Tommy Young, I believe. And you get some Tommy Young on the microphone. Which is great because he's one of the greatest ever, but he likes to talk. He likes My to be part of the show. Ever. He likes to be part of the show too, though. Tommy Young is very much one of those referees in that Dick Whirly way who want to be part of the show, but Tommy Young figures out how to do it without being obnoxious. But hearing the uh, the, the microphone pick up what he's saying is great because at one point when Al's uh, throwing. Uh, Brad outside of the ring, and he goes, "Oh, why'd you do that? Oh, don't go to the floor. Oh, Brad, defend yourself. Oh, one, two, three, and it was great. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. He, he said, Brad, defend yourself. You know, while before he's about to count, and I was like, that that's fantastic. And yes, he does sound like a guy." From a Tennessee Williams play. That's what he looks. That's what he sounds like. So, I love Tommy Young too. If somebody, if, if someone his size got knocked unconscious as often as he did, he'd be in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, where are you? What about you? What do you think of Al Perez with Brad Armstrong? Uh, yeah, well, coming off the previous tag, I, I wasn't too enthused about that. These are two guys that I don't have, you know, too much of an opinion. Uh, Al Perez, when I was a kid and saw him in the magazines, I thought, oh, yeah, he looks awesome. You know, he he should be great. 
but you know he's a, he's a total. And then the bell rang, wrestler, where there's just not much beyond the look. Uh, yeah, um, he's the rest- bad he's the bad clone of Gino Hernandez. Yeah, basically, yeah. That's he's funny because that's I have a take on that in my uh, uh, <laughs> right, and you can see that's what they were going for for yeah. sure. But no, he didn't have any any charisma to speak of. And Brad Armstrong, no, I've enjoyed Brad Armstrong here and there, and but here he's he's, he's like Bob Backlund in 1981, working the arm for an extended uh, about the first five minutes of the match, and then. Gary Hart got involved, and then things got better, of course. Hart, Hart's so good in this. And we'll go to the finish. Yeah, the finish, we've seen it a million times, and you see it coming, but Hart does it so well. He does it so – he's just so subtle with it, where it's believable that the ref wouldn't notice that he was holding uh, Armstrong's leg down. And the look on his face, he sold it perfectly. It, it, yeah, uh, that's just awesome healing by heart the perfect way to do that uh hold the leg finish but otherwise yeah this was for me it was totally forgettable yeah i i i almost have a complete opposite take here than you kelly in a, in a I way thought you might when i was watching yeah. this i thought pete's gonna like this way 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 yeah i, mean, I don't know I don't, I don't i don't love it i mean i think i gave it like a two and a half star match i mean i like i've always liked al perez and gary hart as a team I like that pairing, but felt Gary was trying to capture the magic that he had with Gino, but Al wasn't the worker or had the charisma Gino had. Al was that. He was a, the real deal. Um, we got some nice chain wrestling early, and then Bam Bam Brad is just, you know, just all over the arm and just working spots around the arm. I like Gary Hart interfering to set up the heat. Love him hiding uh, uh, underneath the scaffolding. Uh, and then Perez Pearl Harbor's Brad. I thought when Brad was on top, I found I found the match really engaging because I enjoyed the narrative of what he was trying to do. But once Al gets on top, um, I I I thought it got kind of like ho hum. I didn't think Al was very interesting on top. I uh, I did like Brad uh, gets a <laughs> nice little uh, gets. I liked how he got smashed into the into the scaffolding and. And Al was kind of working the midsection a little bit, but again, it's just really not that fascinating. Uh, I liked uh, Brad's revenge spot by slamming Al back, uh, his head back onto the floor. Um, and I, a total 80s finish here. Good, solid stuff. Um, these guys work a lot with each other here in Crockett. I remember them having a couple, two or three matches on main event or Saturday night, and, uh, or it might have been worldwide. Uh, but, yeah, they worked a lot together. Uh, you clearly see they were smooth in what they were doing. It was a straight-up wrestling match, like JB said. It was, probably was the best pure wrestling match on the show where it was the like, guys exchanging holds in that old 70s-style uh, wrestling, but, you know, updated to the 80s. But I, but I, but I enjoyed it. Um, JB win. Well, then we get the Midnight Express. And Jim Cornette versus the Fantastics in a bunkhouse match. What'd you make of this? Well, first of all, I'm going to just say that um, I'm a huge, huge, huge mark for the Midnights. Everybody knows that. Uh, Bobby Eaton's my favorite wrestler of all time, so I'm going to come in with a lot of uh, bias here, of course. Here, here's, uh, the thing. Here, here's the thing, man. Here's the thing. Everybody knows that Bobby Eaton is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, so I don't, I don't think there is any, I don't think there's a bias that exists. 
I think well, we're I think we're all in agreement. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's a bunkhouse. It's there's nuclear heat for Cornette in the Midnights here. I mean, just absolutely off the charts. Cornette's great doing the Fargo strut just to get everybody fired up even more. Um, you know, Fantastics are, are are great as well, getting more action on the way to the ring than most guys get in their whole life. I mean, you know, they're, I mean, apps, you know, just on the way. And, and Tommy, it, 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 the best part, the best part is Tommy Rogers is not in the ring yet. Bobby's in the ring ready to go. And Tommy's like, oh, well, hold on a second. I got a few more girls to kiss here. You know, he's, he's making his way around. You know? And here's and, the thing. They weren't even kissing as many as they normally do. They were just no. getting in a few. Normally, no. they walk around the entire uh, ringside area just they they're, they are like two Richard Dawsons on Family Feud <laughs> around the whole goddamn ring. That before yeah. they go in there and kick some Heine. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think and my one of my favorite parts, of course, here early on is Stan doing the introduction for Cornette, which is just gold. I mean, absolutely, it's, it's, it's the best. That's that's why uh, Vince went. Yeah, I don't care about the wrestling. That voice. I think it could be an announcer. He's and eventually, and eventually, eventually he'll, he'll, he'll do boat races. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Stan here, Stan is like, you like, you all know him and love him. He's doing Michael Buffer and it sounds great. No, no, he's doing I, somebody else. Um, yeah, he represented his shoot interview. I'm trying to remember who okay. it was. But it sounds, but it sounds like, wow, that, he sounds yeah. better than almost every wrestling announcer there is except for Finkel there. I was like, wow, that's outstanding. Because Jerry Jarrett convinced Stan to do that impersonation. That's how he got his WWE job. Really? Well, there you go. You know, and then, of course, you know, after he gets the introduction, they go to the corners and Corny works and gets even more heat from the crowd. He hugs Bobby and not only hugs him, but he kisses Bobby Mm -hmm. on the cheek. And by this time, of course, all the expletives are flying from the crowd and the, uh, you know, so, it, you know, there's major, major heat before the match even gets started. Yeah, so. this this crowd couldn't even spell woke. So no, imagine. God, yeah, not even close. Of course, the, you know, I, you can only imagine what was being said, of course. And at this point, you know, Fulton and Eaton start off, um, you know, if you don't know this already, Bobby Eaton throws one of the best punches ever, yep, you yep. know. Just th- watching him throw those punches is just a master class in doing that. And today's guys, you know, as we, earlier we were shitting on, you know, modern wrestling. I'll go ahead and do a little shitting here. Today's guys don't throw punches. They just throw these shitty forearms because they don't know how yeah. to throw a damn punch. Yep. You know, you know, watch Bobby Eaton. Watch the guys who worked out of Memphis learn how to throw a punch. That's all well, I got. Te- technically, uh, fists are illegal and forearms are legal. Okay, so. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I mean, that's 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 how I feel about it, you know, of course. But, you know, eventually, you know, um, you know, we get through the opening segments here, you know, after Corny's already got all the heat for everybody. But overall, it's just a it's a great match. I think one of my favorite segments of the match is when Stan visibly sells getting pissed at Corny. Yeah. You know, Stan dives to try to get a tag and and Cornette jumps off the apron to not get the tag. Mm hmm. And they go they go out to the they go out there and Stan is like like threatening to punch Cornette. Yeah. And fans are going nuts for this. They're just hoping that somehow, some way, Stan will turn. Because first of all, the ladies love Stan. Yeah. So you know, you know, there 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 was one lady I saw who had a sign for Stan the whole yep. time she was holding up. You know, so 
you know, talking about how much she loves Stan. Of course, and, and to this day, Stan Lane lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. You know, it's where he lives, where he resides. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, just seeing the dynamics of the match there early on. Um, it's best it's best to stay close to all of your illegitimate kids. Yeah, well, you can you know, visit he, them all. Well, he legitimately still can't go to Florida, from what I understand. So that's <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what Cornette said. Uh, there's been some times that he's mentioned that um, that Stan still has some issues in Florida. Um, but um, you know, I love everything about this match. Everything from it's it's so. You know, Cornette, of course, is working all the Memphis stuff. He pulls out the chain. You know, it's 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 everything that that you can possibly love about a Midnight's match uh, with the Fantastics. Yeah, my one of my favorite lines from Stan Lane is from a shoot interview where one of the old RF video questions would be, "What would be your fantasy match uh, with a modern wrestler?" And Stan Lane would be what answer was, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact all the people he said, but he goes, I would love to do a handicap match with China and Trish Stratus and Major <laughs> Guns. <laughs> Loved it. Because, uh, you know, everyone else come. Sweet Stan challenges China, Major Guns. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? In a baby oil match. <laughs> God bless Stanfield Lane. Yeah, oh, I love it. Uh, Kelly, man, what do you think of this? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, this was the match I was looking most forward to coming into it. I mean, I'd seen the War Games cage before. So, yeah, these guys are always great together. What an array of talent in this match. Holy fuck. Um, Cornette is actually an underrated wrestler. He's, he's so you, you think he would be throws a better fist drop than 99. Only I people throw better ones are Lawler and Ted DiBiase. Yeah, he's a true student of the game. He he's he's so good. Um, Even Eddie Gilbert bump exactly the same way with the big yeah. over big bump a punch. I I love it. I'm sorry, but go on. Yeah, no, it, it this was a master class by Cornette here as a chicken shit. You know, not wanting to get involved at all, but doing all the posing and the strutting. And then when he does get involved, he's, yeah, it, it's just really great stuff. This was, this was fun. It, you know, it's a bunkhouse. Basically, it's a street fight. Um, they go back and forth between observing the tag rules and then just brawling out of control. It reminded me of like a 70s, 80s Japanese tag team match where you'd have that structure where, They'd brawl outside the ring, get tables and chairs involved, then they'd just go back up and start doing tags again like nothing happened. But it, it works. Uh, yeah, this was this is great. All kinds of violence. Eaton has a spike at one point. I don't know where that came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, like <laughs> Abdul the Butcher. Um, yeah, but Abdul yeah. left it there. Yeah, this could have used some blood. Uh, for sure, the edict. That evening, though, was only for the war games. Was there going to be any color? Because, yeah, they were using weapons and stuff. There should have been blood in this. But otherwise, really. Wasn't there blood in the Sheep Herders match? Uh, Was there? Mm. I don't remember any. I don't don't think so. No, this was surprisingly. That's that's my PWI flashback. You just assume, yeah. Yeah, sheep herders, yeah. they they're bleeding when the bell rings. Yeah, but, but <laughs> um, this no, it was a surprisingly you know uh, very uh, strict policy on blood tonight here. 
So, but otherwise, yeah, I love this. I went three and three quarters. I, I, I just, it's, it was great, but I, you know, it's, it's not an all-time classic, but it's a great, great match. And yeah. Oh, I, one negative thing is the horrible dub job of the Midnight's theme. It, it comes up every time oh, yeah. it kills me. But here it was like, I don't know what the hell. It sounded like some sort of yeah, it was tri- tribal beats or something. No, it was there. Normally it's this weird knockoff of the Midnight Express theme from the movie. This is more like, we're going metal, motherfucker. It was kind of like 80s, like dun, 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 dun. Yeah, dun, very. Dun, dun. And yeah. I got to tell you, I was higher than a hippie in a helicopter watching it, and I was going, I can see it. It, it works because it because how cocky Cornette is during it. I'm like, okay, this works for me. It's fine. Yeah. But the booze were piped in too at the time. It was just an overall bad dub job. But that's my one of my pet peeves, as we all know. I didn't think the booze were dubbed. It <laughs> sounded, like, I think they were. It sounded. Um, it was a, just a muddled mess. They absolutely yeah, I, were. Yeah, they replace they replace a lot of the. Somebody made a comment about this before, I think, or maybe I was listening to a different podcast. But yeah, unfortunately, when you replace the music live, yeah, it's yeah. all one track. They don't have to. Uh, uh, so anytime they replace the music, you're just hearing they're taking what they're trying. They my guess is now I don't know this part factually, but my guess is they're the editor is looking at the audience and trying to yeah. gauge. Not only can they hear the original audio, but they can see the what, – what is the fan going to see? They're going to see the visual of, of them, and they're just trying to match the intensity of the visual with already pre-done uh, sweetening, so to speak, one way or the other. So okay. That's interesting because watching the world-class stuff where they, they just don't bother with it and they just cut it to the crowd – Boy, if they tried to match what they thought those chicks were screaming, you couldn't listen to this on earbuds. <laughs> <laughs> well, later later on um, on on the same uh, video, the same show, they actually have the crowd reacting before the crowd is actually reacting. Oh, so really? To, yeah. to, specifically to the Road Warriors theme, which they dubbed out. Yeah. So they that actually. Was bad too. They hit it because for some reason they let they just let the cameraman. It's weird because they do edit in between matches, and yet they they come back and there's like ten to fifteen seconds before they have the Road Warriors come out, and well, it's, it's just weird. So it's well, just sitting there, and then you hear people, and then you see them actually physically react, and you realize it's about the same. And well, the strangest thing is because this is a new uh, Hidden Gems release, and they're like, okay, I guess we have to bother with all this why do we leave it in and they were leaving it in and i think why they wanted to even dub in the reactions it someone there's a fan and was like you know these people were hot for this or something i don't know it's it's that's fascinating (laughs) well because it would be hard to believe that they'd have separate feeds that the nwa production people did in 1988 before turner bought it and kept all that stuff and then handed it over and then they were able to like get perfect they're like, we can't use this audio, but we can use this part that is on a, like a B-side track, so to speak. It's not the language, but it's the same thing. It's fascinating. All right, know what else is fascinating, motherfuckers? This is a bunkhouse match. So what do you think people dress up like? For a bunkhouse match, you know, it's a bunkhouse match. Wear jeans, you know, you know, cowboy shit, 
No, that that nonsense. Not the Midnight Express, motherfuckers. Because Bob, beautiful, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Yeah, he's got jeans with wrestling uh, knee pads, uh, white jeans, mind you, because he's stylish, and a Alabama football uh, just uh, cut off T-shirt. You know, mid riff, <laughs> and and Stan motherfucking Lane just got there from the beach because he's just wearing a beach T-shirt and little tight fucking surf shorts because. He doesn't hang out in a fucking bunkhouse. He hangs out down at the beach. The Midnight Express look amazing here. Because the whole thing is that you're supposed to dress up like a tough guy. And Stan Lee is not dressed up like a tough guy at all. It's fantastic. And so here come the Fantastics. And they're in jeans. Ooh, tight jeans. Real tight jeans. Because the Fantastics, unlike the Rock and Roll Express have a, a bit of a tight gene advantage in the, who's going to be the top fucking blowjob babyface team in this territory. <laughs> and sh- holy shit, fucking Bobby Fulton's jeans are so fucking tight, his asshole is just eating him up. Just, they're lifting and separating in, in this fucking match. It's why he, t- it's why he takes off his T-shirt. You know, he, he doesn't have his T-shirt torn away. He takes it off. You know, in the, in the first yeah, he got a seconds. Hardy Boy pop for it, so he can breathe. Oh, wait, oh no, no, no! So he can give the ladies what they want because they're there to see the goddamn Fantastics. He got oh, a Hardy fucker. Boy. That was like the Hardy Boys pop. He did. He yeah. got a pop. And that T-shirt, by the way, was a ZZ Top T-shirt from the album Afterburner, where the ZZ Top car in the video is murdered by evil machines. And is resurrected as this space shuttle <laughs> that takes off into the sky. And now there was a story that I referenced earlier, and we said we're not going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about this. Let me just put it this way: I I saw that tour on the way home. My mom in the front seat driving, my little sister asleep in the other front seat. In the back seat, me, my girlfriend Joey, the Wolf Man. Uh, Oh, to my side, me, uh, four knuckles deep. Just saying, Joey was very uncomfortable. Classy. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, the, oh, I'm going to talk about that. At some point, Bob Caudle is, is scolding somebody here. Because there had been someone yelling at ringside where Tony, you heard Tony go, okay, okay. And then you hear Bob Cowell go, I don't like you. I'm very disappointed. I'm like, oh, I want to know what's going on here. And Tommy Young is doing what I always hate during an anything goes match, trying to stop them from letting it be anything goes. It never made any sense to me. I was like, it's anything goes. You don't need to be involved in this. And Bobby Eaton takes a chair shot. Uh, they're fighting around the ring. He takes a chair shot and bumps like over into the crowd. It's the greatest chair shot sell I've ever seen. It's amazing. Everyone needs to find that moment. Make a gif of it or whatever the fuck you motherfuckers call it. And Stan's getting more and more upset with Jim. He's like, there's three of us. And Jim's screaming, I don't know, what do we do? What do we do? Showing that, oh, he's not a genius. 
he's just a spoiled rich boy who can pay for wrestlers. I'm like, that's amazing commitment in like night 39 or whatever the fuck of the tour. What a <laughs> to, to fucking putting on an acting show. And when he grabs him and throws him in, like, holy shit, Stan's going to fuck him up. What's going to happen? And it all gets discombobulated. Cordette does take a bump, but the Midnight Express come out on top at the end. Cornette's like holding his chin and he's like, come on, Stan, come on, Stan. And all's forgiven because it's almost like that was our plan. We're going to do the old switcheroo where Stan pretends to hit me and I throw me in and we do this, that, and the other. And that's how we get out on top. You know, the Cornette conniving shit. This match is fucking great. I, I goddamn love this. But here's the thing. If anything goes, you get Cornette with the fucking chain in his hand, doing the fist drops, and then they're doing the whole, you know, he didn't really tag, ref, and he's like, you didn't tag. And I'm like, it's anything goes, but tag rules need to be enforced. It was always weird. And as I was thinking that, you heard a guy in the crowd go, ah, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm with you, sir. But, uh, Otherwise, oh, God, I love this. I, I am never not – I've yet to see, like, someone go, hey, check out the Midnight Express versus the Fantastics. You know, I'm, never, I'm always going to go, yeah, sure. It's, I've never seen a bad one. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Hey, Johnny P, man, what do you think of the match? Eh, it was all right. No, I'm <laughs> I, just, I thought it would be funny after everything. <laughs> okay, what do we got? Um – yeah, we were talking about this a bit before, but I didn't want to, like, jump in and do the whole thing. Uh, it killed me a little bit, a little bit, to hear the Midnight Express come out, because I wanted to hear that, and it didn't it didn't click in my dumb brain, because we'd already heard some dub music. The, I wasn't going to hear the song, but what killed me inside as a human being was not hearing the heat for Jim Cornette walking out as a wrestler instead of a manager through that crowd. He looked like a middle manager that does a once a week MMA class with the whole rash guards on. Mm-hmm. And I died a slow death knowing that because he looked like the guy who meets you, who dresses like that. He comes out of the office like he went to the bathroom before, you know, before. And, <laughs> and then he's like, hey, man, I'll see you tomorrow. I got to go to my MMA class that my kid got me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, uh, I always thought that he deliberately padded his ass. Because he just he's so skinny and then his ass goes out and then I you know I I met him a few times I'm like oh no no that's just what he looked like. <laughs> uh, Corny was trying to get heat on the mic. I, I noticed that uh, Bruce Mitchell and John Han, uh, Hitchcock were doing like weird uh, Illuminati symbols of some sort. Any, <laughs> I have no idea what it meant, but I guess they were getting heat from the front row or or those. They guys. were putting they were putting up the X. The yeah, X from Midnight like Express. Yeah, yeah. 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 What is that? Five years that? later, Cornell will be threatening to kill Bruce Mitchell. So I mean, that's great stuff. Well, after after moments like this, maybe he should have. Just saying. Okay. Hey, hey, foreshadowing. Hey. Foreshadowing what's to come in the future. For all of you listening, saying like, I'm going to snitch tag him on Twitter. Don't worry, I'm good friends with Bruce. I will send him this episode. He won't listen, so I'll tell him what I said about it. Um. Yeah, uh, Tommy Rogers gets a lot of credit. Maybe this is just in my head and I'm the, the person doing this, but I feel like in when we did like the 80s sets and Tommy, the fans would be on it, Tommy Rogers always got the credit as being the worker and he would be the one to, to take right. the, Uh But I felt like Bobby Fulton worked his butt off in this match. I mean, maybe it's Ooh. because of the 
his tight, sexy butt, his tight, <laughs> sexy butt cradled. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're transfixed on something. Per- perhaps, but I thought he was working really hard in this match. <laughs> hey, 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 oh, hey, hey. Uh, everybody already uh, stole my thunder, which is everybody's thunder, which is Bobby Eaton is amazing. Uh, I'll just mention that because I'm not sure if anybody else did, but they probably did. He ate like three like chair shots before people knew yeah. like chair yeah. shots hurt. Yeah. Not even like, oh, they cause concussions, don't go to the head. He just ate chair shots because people were like, I just swing and we'll figure out like where you hit. It was nuts. But he got his hand up every time, like if you noticed. It was, yeah. I think he was doing a very safe way, yeah. you know. Well, well the, the spot I talked about where he takes one and flips in over the, the, the guardrail into the crowd, the one thing you see while he's doing that is – Real quick, at the last second, his hand goes right up between yeah. his head, and there, boom! It, it but and it goes right down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I'll do. A, I'll do uh, things I love. Thing the thing I didn't love. I I wasn't as hot on the descent, the tease of the dissension in in the Midnight Express. I just that was. That was a wrestling trope that I didn't believe in that moment with those guys. Uh, a little force yeah. for you. Yeah. It's so very like hammy. Like, because Jim Cornette's like, I'm yelling and sort of looking back at you in the front row. Um, and I get that he, like, look, that it was a story plot point, whatever you want to call it. And he's playing to the cameras too. And it, it overall was a good plot point though, because I love the Midnight Express that they can kind of get it over. And, and the rose goes to them because, like, that is the entry point to them opening the floodgates for their amazing offense. Because that offense ex- of explosion, uh, like, right after that was like, yeah. a cool freaking thing to see. Yeah, and I can it, totally buy your argument here where it, did, it felt kind of forced. But on the flip side, the crowd ate it up. So. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like, what do I know? Because that crowd, to me, I was like, oh, this is kind of condescending. But then I'm thinking about it from, like, uh, Smarty Smarkerson's, like, ECW Arena as a teenager type, uh, like, like mindset still. It's like, no, it's like I said, it was, Cornette is a genius. It's there. We're going to pull the old number 49 where Stan pretends that he's getting mad at me. And then, you know, I will take a shot here. And we, we end up on, on offense here. Eaton playing peacemaker. Plans and plans. <laughs> Eaton playing peacemaker was like a nice little cherry on top. In that yeah. Thing. He's like, Hey, Hey, hey man, I, I, I like both of you. <laughs> and then finally, like <laughs> I like that it was delayed for me. Uh, and then finally, Cornette, uh, Cornette insisting on the pin though, even though it's the same yeah. thing. He's like being loud and hammy. Love that. That like fits so well with the you that was coming. They had obviously the way he was like, and, and don't tag me. He kept saying at the beginning, it was like putting the gun on the table in the first act, and then this is the gun firing at the end. It's like, of course he's going to get in. He's the most obnoxious pin get pressed off and then everybody just eats shots and, and, and they bump around for it. And then they, and then Cornette's the one that takes a pin. I just love the end. I loved the match. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I'm with all you guys. I love the match too. Um, I'm with, I give it three and a half stars. It's like, you know, that bunkhouse come as you are match and come Bonnie, as you are. Where, where the fuck, where the fuck was Stan Lane? If he was come as you are. He was coming from a robust class. That's where I think he it was did. coming you from. Know what? That's, was, you know what? That, that makes more sense than the beach because it was skin tight. He he looked like he was a, a background player in that movie Perfect 
Not only coming from aerobics class, teaching aerobics class. Let me put it. Of course, yes. You know what? You know, to fifty-five and older uh, women at at a retirement community, and Stan Lane is pussy deep. I feel like Stan Lane has has a Planet Fitness black card. That's the twenty dollars look. I can see that anywhere, any place you want. For those of you not in the know, I feel like he has a Planet Fitness black card, and he trolls. Like he'll just take. He's like, oh, it's Tuesday. It's aerobics day, or it's like hot yoga. And he goes from place to place, just like, oh, I just wanted to try a class. You can try to get fifty-year-old women to take home. My name is Sam Lane. Oh, dude, that's fucking the best. And if you people haven't seen Bobby eating with that Alabama half shirt, half shirt on, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And then, like you guys all seen, I loved how Cornette and Bobby played it up for the crowd. Early shine for the fantastic, and Bobby's bumping and stooging all over for him. Um, Stan gets uh, gets to stooging also. Midnight gets a little flurry, but Fantastics get control. Midnight's and Corny tease that dissension. I, you know what? I enjoyed it because the crowd was getting into it. Um, but they get the clips by the big punch exchange by uh, I loved uh, 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 Bobby and, and uh, both Bobbies, Fulton and Eden. I'm with you guys. Um, uh, we're, we're P. I think Fulton's really underrated because I was on. Rogers yeah. it was the good was the better worker when it comes to moves, but I thought Fulton understood the gimmick, and I understood, and I thought he understood how to work a brawl, um, and so I thought he brought a lot to the table, and I also thought he uh, was the more charismatic of the of the two. Uh, I love uh, I loved mm-hmm. uh, I loved how Rogers gets worked over with the with the chairs and stuff and Cornette even gets uh, in on it. I uh, loved him throwing uh, the uh, the uh, chair and then I loved the fact that he's trying to slam slam one of the Fantastics but he can't get him up. So Bobby runs up behind him and helps him with the slam. It's a great, great chicken shit manager spot. Um, And, of course, that freaking uh, uh, finish was fantastic and and really a a fun, fun way to blow off this feud, honestly. Next up, we got Sting and Captain Mike Rotunda of the Varsity Club. Johnny Sorrow, what's going on here, man? Oh, wow. I get I get first dibs on Sting versus Mike fucking Rotunda. Okay. Well, let me put, the, put it out there. Someone put out the Parv signal. There's a lost Mike Rotunda match that's kind of fucking good. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this was a, a really good match. Um, number one, it's Young Sting. It's 1988. He's coming out, and he is over. That crowd is popping for Sting, who I feel like, to me, he felt like the the first modern type character to uh-huh. become a star in late Jim Crockett and or what becomes WCW. He's yep. different. He's got one name and face paint. And you can say the Road Warriors, but that's different. But, Sting felt like he could have been in the WWF right then and there. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. But it's something that I didn't like uh, at the time when I was like, would just tune in every now and then, like, 
guy who wears face paint, he has one name, Sting. That's not the name of a champion. You know what's the name of a champion? Bob Backlund. That's a champion's name, asshole. <laughs> Fuck you and Sting. And Ultimate Warrior, you can suck my dick. And, but he was the first one to get up. And, and this is right as that was happening, which is I love watching. Because he's in there with Rotunda, and he's a veteran who knows how to fucking work. And when he has the right gimmick, he's great at it. And his two best gimmicks were this era of Captain Mike Rotunda, head of the fucking varsity club, and IRS. Even though I thought IRS was fucking one of the dumbest fucking things I ever fucking saw yeah. at the time. And I was like, oh, I, I fucking That's hate it. somehow. But it got over, so good for him, and got ah. over. But I like this. And I mean, and he carries young Sting through a great match. Sting has one little slip up, like uh, bumping to his back too soon on a, on a leg sweep, and has to stick his leg out again. And Rotunda just covers for him. You know, it's something I almost no. I guess Mitchell and them probably fucking noticed it, but I was like, eh, no one else would fucking notice it. And. And they proceed to have a fine little match that gets Sting over, but he and and. He doesn't win the title because it was a TV title. Yep. Yep. And Rotunda's a uh, champ, so they're not putting the title on him. So how do you get out of that? And the way they got out of it made Sting look like a million bucks and uh, Rotunda look like a pussy. And But he gets to keep his title. I thought this was a fun little match. Yeah, because you know what? I, I'm going to finish. You, you think about it here. Sting is like a blue chipper, one of the guys they're going to build this company around. Uh, there was kids. You saw the kids with the paint on their face. Yeah, this is it. fucking eighty-eight Crockett, and suddenly there's little kids there with paint on their face. That's something. And and so you put him with Rotundo, who's a good hand. <coughs> it's mm-hmm. a TV belt, so he's like you know established. You can't have Sting lose to him. You can't have him work to a draw because Sting's above the TV belt. So they go with this finish, which is the probably the best way to do to protect Sting because yeah. it, it makes Sting, you know, standing tall type of thing. It's a win-win. Yeah, everything yeah, exactly. works. Exactly. So, uh, 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 Johnny P, where you, where, what do you feel about the match? Yeah, I, I wrote down the. This is like Johnny's right. Like this is actually a surprisingly good match. I like. I kind of wanted more. Uh, my my biggest criticism, and it's not like a a real big one is it kind it was, I have like uh, insanely slow and deliberate to start. Um, and they build it up and then it like goes zero and it's climbing. It's like an old car that doesn't pick up yeah. speed very quickly. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. I'm getting on the highway. Come on. I got to merge. I got to merge. We got to get above 30 at least. And then the last minute stings like turbo button hits. And he's like, yeah. All right, here we go. I'm diving through over the ropes into the other freaking ring. Yeah. And I'm setting up the the scorpion, and you're like, oh, wow, we're going 90 now. Okay, there's no cops. All right. And then it just ends, and you're like, oh, the the car just stopped at at 90. But here's the thing, because only Sting could pop Mike Captain Mike Rotunda to the other ring where the finish happened. The the match started in one ring, and they did the finish in the other ring, and that was saved just for Sting. So that's pretty fucking dope. Yeah, well, right on. Like, I I like this match. Um, I I wanted more out of it. I thought when you think about the finish, it is a win-win, though, because it's a way to keep the belt on Rotunda and not make him look like a fool. 
but Sting doesn't lose anything. This, this is what? This is like four months, five months, maybe not even after. Um, two months. After Sting and Flair. Two months. Clash. Uh, wow. yeah, Two and a half months. It was the uh, same day as WrestleMania 4, so March. So that's early April, right? March. March 23rd or 4th, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just a few months. Sting looks good. Like, he works so well underneath, though. Like, even though it was fine at the beginning, he's definitely a charismatic Sting at this point. He's actually very. Muscle guys usually aren't as active and athletic as he is. He looks good here, but he really shines. And Rotunda really freaking seems like a ring general. Yeah. When he starts getting the heel heat, and Sting is a sympathetic underneath guy. I think this is like one of his biggest strengths pre-Crow uh, Sting is when he would work underneath I and agree. then he would come back. So, yeah, I thought the Varsity Club stuff worked too. Rotunda looked good. Uh, yeah. Um, Rotunda, I just want to like reiterate like what Johnny said. Like Rotunda, he, he was motivated. He was an active, compelling heel when he was in control. I was like, yeah, all right. This guy's working hard. Like, I see this guy as being a mountain to climb for Sting here. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Good, good point, Johnny. Uh, Kelly, what do you feel on this, man? Yeah, I liked it, too. Um, Sting, it was great to see him here. He's so fresh, right? You know, he's still he, – he, when did he finally call it a career? Like 2015. So we know he has 27 more years after this. But here he's just brand new. It's amazing to think about, but um, and so many years afterwards with the crow gimmick and the shitty haircut, and I always wanted him Which to go one? back. <laughs> I wanted him to go back to the original look, and he never did. I mean, maybe it would have not looked as great as an older man, but no, it would. No, it wouldn't have. You know, uh, no. Well, would you want to see color at least? Would you want to see a forty-six-year-old man going whoa like surfer thing? It'd be terrible. Well, we'll never I think now. we could have got him doing 96 Sting, where he uh, he might have had his yeah, hair. Yeah, like a hybrid in between the two. Yeah, that was yeah. 96, was before the crow. Yeah. But he wasn't the surfer Sting blonde hair anymore. He had the dark right, hair. Right, right. Yeah, because the crow thing was so stale. So, 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 wait, so, wait, hold on. so, that, that, what, pre, pre goth Sting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, Cut the hair, bring back the colorful face paint, colorful tights. And Sting's, par- Sting's, par- Sting's parents were like, I think something's wrong with Sting. He's not wearing <laughs> his makeup anymore right now. And hmm, doesn't seem as vibrant. Next thing you know, anyway. all black and white. Yeah. No, I thought he should have brought that back at some point. I was kind of surprised he never did because eventually everyone goes back. Like Hogan went back to the red and uh, yellow and all that. But Sting never went back. Um. So yeah, he's fresh here. Good stuff. Love the the ring to ring dive. That was great. And then the stinger splash, scorpion deathlock, and it was a good finish because yeah, Rotunda was cooked. He had no way out of it. He was done. He was gonna lose. Steiner had to interfere, or else there'd be a title switch. My only criticism is Sting just leaves after that. You know, not even very concerned with anything. He's just okay. That's uh, well, I, I could buy him leaving because I because I thought they. Did a good job teasing the uh, Steiner Rotunda Rotundo dissension that would start, you know, by by Starcade. It's yeah. on. Yeah, you get that like from a distance. You see, they're kind of pushing each other. But uh, well, why, I mean, why, why would he? He's like, I want to take on both of these motherfuckers. I'm just get the motherfuck out of here. And uh, he's like, Hey, it's like uh, Pulp Fiction. He's like, I'm Paul. This is between y'all. 
<laughs> JB, what about you? How, how do you feel about Sting versus Rotundo? Well, I think uh, Rotundo is it works here for sure as the uh, you know the the good solid pr- uh, professional base there for Sting. You know, Mike at this point had been in the business for about seven or eight years, so you know he's he's a veteran he's a veteran by that standard with Sting in the ring, so that that works. I think we were all were impressed with you know Sting's athleticism. That everybody's already talked about that double dive over the two sets of ropes into the next ring, which is just crazy, insane athleticism. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff that we only see from Sting during really this time period. And, you know, maybe a little bit further into the early 90s. You know, obviously he really blew his knee up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when he he had that knee injury, you know, the knee injury, we talking about the the knee injury where he was climbing the cage. Yeah, 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 that one. Uh, You know, the one in, uh, that would have been the uh, class champions in Corpus Christi. Is that right? Yeah, so you know that you know he never really was the same athlete again, and of course he he was always carrying a you know a large upper body, so you know all that extra weight on that body is never going to be good for the knee. So we don't really see that same kind of athleticism again out of Sting after you know that time period. Uh, but I thought Rotunda was just was just great here. Like I said, you know him being a veteran of about eight you know seven or eight years at this point was exactly what Sting needed to have to help lead him to a good match. Yeah, I remember like I always remember Sting's athleticism before the knee being uh, blowing up on him. Um, I like, think I remember the the week before uh, match against Tully and Arn. He does like that no touch dive, just a running dive over the ropes like he's Mysterio or Liger or something, and it's just nuts. Uh, and here he would see we see glimpses of it like the big row, give the big spot which he he would do in the War Games match, which was always awesome. Uh, so he's always doing it on the Great American Bash. We saw it in '89 with his match yeah. with Muda. Um, he's really on a, on fire to start, and then uh, Steiner with like the leg trip sets up the heat. I was like a, a heel, uh, the cheat to set up the heat, so I, I like that. I like uh, uh, how Rotunda decides to incorporate a slower and more um, methodical type of uh, uh, work, and it's like kind of like dirty boxing in a way. Um, it's, it's rough. He's, his work on top though is pretty, pretty oh hum, but you know, he's just trying to control Sting. Uh, but I will say at least Sting is totally, totally into it because he's trying to work underneath and he's actually keeps the mo he keeps it going by making it interesting on, on what Sting's trying to do to escape it as opposed to what Tomatendo is doing on top. Um, you know, basic, you know, the 80s finish, but I thought it was a good way to keep uh, the Sting uh, momentum going where it doesn't hurt him at all. Uh, the, the finish didn't hurt Rotunda because he keeps his belt and he's a heel and you, you're expected to cheat. And I enjoy this theme, uh, the, the Steiner and Rotunda teasing dissension going forward. Um, then we get the Road Warriors versus Ivan Koloff. <sighs> And the Russian assassin number in one. a scaffold match. Number one. Um, <laughs> Kelly, do you know who is this? Is this Angel of Death here or is this Jack Victory? Yeah, Victory? this okay. is Angel of Death. Angel of Death? Uh, okay, I didn't know if it was Angel of Death or Jack Victory. So, okay. There you go. I asked him, not you. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I couldn't wait to find out, man. <laughs> so, what do you think of the match, Kelly? Uh, I didn't like it at all. I, um... Oh, what? It's pretty poor. Yeah, I, I maybe that's an unpopular opinion. Mm. I, I don't know. No, no. Uh, I'm not a fan. 
a lot of the scaffold matches. Because and... it's the most ridiculous concept ever invented in wrestling. And when you hear Tony Schiavone going, the winner is the first person to throw their opponents off a scaffold, you're like, what the fuck is this? That's ridiculous. But yeah. some are good. Very some few are, are good. Yeah. One is good. Yeah. <laughs> the original? Uh, Dundee and Coco? Yeah. Dundee and exactly. Coco is exactly. amazing. That's the I, one. I, uh, I still enjoy Skywalkers just because I yeah, yeah, was yeah. there. And, and Although, no, I was at the Greensboro Coliseum. I watched that on a big screen because he, that was at the Omni and we were in Greensboro. Um, now, I will say, how many – I know I saw when they did a scaffold match in Houston. I saw that one live. JB is a guy from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Did you ever see it in any of those scaffold matches they ran there? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, I did. Did you like it? Has anyone else ever seen any scaffold matches live? Not, not me, no. Of course, I mean those those scaffold matches were a lot more makeshift than this, of course. Yeah. You know, but you know, and I mean, I guess the original scaffold matches were even before that Coco match. Didn't Jerry Jarrett have some in the seventies? Jerry yeah. Jarrett, yeah. Jerry Jarrett, and Don Green. Yeah. Uh, Don, oh, Don Green of the original Heavy Bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah I think uh, live. The scaffold match stands up better because you really get a visual how fucking tall, how high they're up. Like, yeah, I would hot for it. Yeah. Is that's it that's, gonna that's be a note I made is that seeing this live would have been fun, but uh, I'd be Yeah, no, that, I, that's where I'm getting at, Kelly. I think it's more of a live, being there live type of thing than watching it. Home. Yes, you can enjoy it watching it home, don't get me wrong. But I really think that's why I think crowds get into it or almost, almost like they're almost in a hushed tone a lot. Because the stakes really are high. Where someone, I, I mean, I don't care how good of a bumper you are, you could break your neck taking that bump. Yeah, but, but here's the thing: so many of them fucking suck. And w- which ones are good? And I thought this one was really good, fifty percent. Because up on that scaffold, Hawk and Russian Assassin Number One in the corner there on the right hand corner of the screen punching each other and hanging on and animal and Ivan Koloff are having a goddamn match up there on the scaffold. Ivan, when Ivan comes out and you know, Ivan Koloff is like one of our heroes here on all the podcasts we've done. And, uh, and I first, I'm like, there's no reason he should have to go up there. That's insane. Man's 46 years old. And to a fucking scaffold matches. Holy shit. And he goes up there. He's a goddamn star of the goddamn show. Because Ivan Koloff is one of the greatest professional wrestlers who ever fucking lived. Bar none. He is bumping on there. Animals bumping on there. They're putting on an actual match. Ivan's doing a lot of faking of falling and this, that, and the other. Hawk and uh, the assassin are just making out in the corner. Holy shit. Half of this match is fantastic. And did there a bullwhip get involved in one? Point? No, no. Ivan Chain. fucking Chain. Ivan, That's what no, it was. Okay. Here's, this here's where we're going. Ivan you know, does the whole like, of course they're not being thrown off the top like mankind off the stage. It's you you hang down there. And this is a lot lower than the one Cornet fell down. Uh they yes. lowered those the fucking things. And but it's still a bump from three feet above the top rope. And Ivan Koloff, the oldest man in this match, takes the bump. Boom! He's the first one down. 
And I was like, oh, poor. And he rolls out there, and there's Paul Jones. You know, he's still around for some fucking reason. Like, yeah, he has no use if Jimmy Valiant's not there. It, it, there's no point to have Paul Jones if Jimmy Valiant's not there anymore. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Ivan Koloff is climbing up the goddamn staff, scaffold with a Russian chain around his neck because Ivan Koloff's a bad motherfucker. And he gets up there, but Animal gets him. And I was like, and I was so into this match at this point, I was like, Animal's going to fucking hang him from the cage. He's going to wrap it around his neck and just toss him in there. And he just ties him up in the corner because that would be insane. But that's where my mind was at the time. Then they kind of get Hawk and Assassin in, and they managed to get Assassin off, and ding, ding, ding. And I went, I loved this match. I loved it. I thought this was fantastic. It entertained the shit out of me because Ivan Koloff and Animal put on an amazingly entertaining, their half of it was an amazingly entertaining uh, scaffold match, and that's tough. I know Johnny yeah, was excited yeah, was to, to get his point across. Now, Kelly, did you did you finish your point? <laughs> I, I don't remember what my point was. But there's, <laughs> I know you said you didn't like. Oh, sorry. There's there's a backstory to this, of course. It was supposed to be the Road Warriors and the Powers of Pain, right? Oh, really? And, yeah. And the Powers of Pain saw the schedule that they were going to be doing scaffold matches for God knows how many straight nights. And taking and, the pump, yeah. Yeah. And, and, of course, we're going to lose every one of them. So that was one of the reasons why they were so eager to go to New York. And so so Koloff and Russian Assassin number one were the replacements. And, yeah, Ivan's a total trooper, takes the bump. And, yeah, he was working at Smart. Johnny's right. Uh, Hawk and the Assassin just sat in the corner and did nothing. And and Assassin basically climbed halfway down before taking the bump. But that was the worst. That was the worst bump. I mean, worst just ever, ever. No, I, I know, but you, I mean, he's doing it every night. You gotta yeah. save yourself. You're not gonna be taking crazy bumps off scaffold right, exactly. every night of the week. Um, but and yeah, like we've all said, the create the uh, heat from the crowd was awesome. I just I wasn't into this at all. It was just the sound of the scaffold, kong 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 kong, for. Ten minutes, or wasn't even that long. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, this one lost me. But no, I, I understand Johnny's points. They're valid for sure. Oh. What about you? Johnny? I was shocked. Oh, sorry, Johnny. I thought you already. Go sorry. On. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, as much as I love um, listening to Mister Sorrow, and it's cool to uh, to get to do this live with you guys. Um, it's a no from me on this one. Uh, it brought me back to being a kid when I would see uh, the VHS tapes at the video store and be like. Oh my God! What could this gimmick be? What could this match be? Somebody's probably gonna die. I've got to rent this. And then you get it home, and it's 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 like uh, what's that movie called? The Christmas Story, where where he finally gets the Dakota ring, and it's hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's old, uh, <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget to drink your old. Yeah, be sure, be, be sure a, to drink your yeah, old. Analogy. Yeah. And then he's like, analogy. "Son of a bitch!" I did. That's how I felt. I watched. I watched the bump. And I just went, son of a bitch. Um, mostly, I just felt nervous as all hell for Uncle Ivan and hoping, hoping he was getting a good payoff. Because there were a few times he tried to make it visually interesting by kind of like wobbling backwards. And I'm like, yo, this old man, this distinguished legend, is going to fall backwards off this thing trying to trying to act like he's like selling a punch. He and was just great. Die. But yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. 
I couldn't do it, Johnny. I'm sorry. I just couldn't get into it. JB, where are you falling on this one, brother? I'm kind of in between. Um, I think that all the stuff that Johnny said about Ivan is 100% correct. I think that my favorite thing of the whole match actually was a moment where they flash into the crowd. And this kind of plays off what Kelly was talking about. There's a, a, a young kid holding up a sign that says, Road Warriors, true men, powers yeah. of pain, yellow-bellied wimps. Oh, <laughs> there you go. So I don't know if that kid created that or if that was a Crockett sign they just placed out there and said, hey, kid, hold this. Yeah. Jackie Crockett's son, yeah. Yeah, 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 one of the kids holding that thing, but uh, I thought that was great. Uh, that, that kid, that little kid actually was subscribing to the Observer and realized <laughs> that they had just taken off, and he, he, uh, and he got his issue and found out they took off, and he made his sign uh, appropriately. And, and the whole thing with uh, – yeah, and the whole thing with uh, Hawk and Angel of Death, uh, Assassin, uh, over in a the corner, they're probably over there talking about a Coke deal or something at that point, yeah. you know, so, you know, you know, Hawk's trying to negotiate with death. Cause obviously we know death ran drugs. So, uh, they're trying to try to, try to figure, try to figure out, you know, how they, how they can get his, you know, his latest hookup. Yeah. And the entire time about. and the entire time they're like, and here's the thing, brother, just make sure we don't tip off Billy Jack Haynes. Oh God. <laughs> Because he's the true connection. Yes, which we which we learned in our review of the uh, of, of gorgeous Gino, right, right, Johnny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, but yeah, you know, this. Yeah, yeah. Overall, overall, I I'm mean, sorry. It, it, overall, Pete, you know, the match was just kind of, you know, it, it was there. It had its moments. You know, it's not something I'm going to, you know, go back and watch again and say that was great. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm. It's kind of a tale of two cities. I enjoyed seeing Ivan do his stuff. <laughs> the best of times and the worst. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. And then the worst of times was watching the uh, Russian assassin, Angel Death Bump. Um, he has a cooler nickname than his bump. I'll just say that. Uh, yeah, it didn't really do a whole lot for me. So, But it, it was kind of added some neat visuals, and mostly it was Ivan uh, just, you know, he's, he's kind of like Bobby Eden in a way. In the sense where he'll have a, he'll try to have a wrestling match on Mars if he had to. That's just uh, it. That's what I'm uh, saying. It's why I, I like this. I'm like, it was the fucking scaffold matches. They all fucking suck. And here's Ivan Koloff doing his best at 46 to make this entertaining with with the animals. So that's why I liked it. Yeah. And you got to respect him because he probably realized he was, you know, without Nikita now there's these Russian assassin as his partner. Probably knew it wasn't, and it was, they were in a makeshift last minute re- replacement. Yeah, he probably knew. You know, he probably well, he was about. No, with- he's not too far away from turning babyface and reuniting with Nikita. But at that point, and we're going into the main event. Nikita really isn't Nikita anymore. Yeah, exactly. This is true. War games. The match beyond JB, man. What did you think about this one? The match is exactly what I remember from most of the war games matches that, that I saw involving the horsemen. Of course, the horsemen are going to get the advantage off the coin flip. So we know that that's how it's going to start off. Dusty's going to start the match and, you know, be the, you know, be the face in peril, you know, right from the beginning. Um, Dusty is, you know, he, it's Dusty and Arn starting off. Arn gets busted open first. And then Dusty gets busted open with a pair of pliers, which I thought <laughs> was, which, that which was, was, I was wondering. I was like, good yeah. God, where did the pliers come from? I'm like, all of a sudden there's a pair Holmes of pliers. Both, they, they, 
Home Depot is around. Yeah. That's yeah. the Great American Bash 1988, baby. I Home think, Depot, where you get your, your, your head busting plies supplies, baby. And I, I think, you know, we, we talked earlier about the mic picking up the guys talking in the ring. Every time that Dusty would take a hit or get punched, he's yelling, shit. Shit. No, 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 it's, no, 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 baby. no, here's how, here's how I get around the senses, because it's shit, it's shit, 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 oh, he also says, he, he says, uh, at one point where he's fighting on, he goes, I'm gonna rip his mother ducking head off, date, <laughs> his motherfucking, d- 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 he's like, I didn't. That's what, oh, sir, Mister Mister Reynolds. Um, you weren't supposed to bleed on TBS, and uh, oh, sorry. And uh, and you just keep cursing and changing letters. Well, this is not cursing if I change letters, baby. No, it kind of is, sir. You know, you have to go. <laughs> yeah, but but Dusty, Dusty is classic Dust Dusty in this match. You know, in every in every way. Totally. You know, t- you know, bleeding. He's you know he he bleeds at the sight at the, at the sight of thinking about bleeding. Uh, you know, so it's, 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 you know, it's, you know, he walks in, he walks into the cage and all of a sudden it just like blood starts spouting from his forehead, you know, I like just had a great I, idea. Shit. Give me a fucking bandy. <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, it, it's, you know, it's classic. It's classic dusty in every way. Um, you know, it's, I, it's kind of an interesting pairing, of, you know, of the guys who are, are kind of thrown together to, to be on Dusty's team, baby faces. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a it's like a it's like a hodgepodge of of baby faces that they've got. Uh, yeah. as, as we said, you know, Nikita is no longer Nikita. That's for sure. He's dropped a good like fifty pounds. It seems like you know he's not he's not intimidating in any way. Nikita uh, want to have a child without cancer. yes, yes, yes. And at, at that time, was his was his wife also diagnosed with cancer? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's kind of phoning it in at this point. Yeah. At that point, you know, then he eventually doesn't he show up in the AWA, you know, eventually as yeah, well. Yeah. Too far very, after this. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He original reason for like, fuck you. I'm not taking steroids anymore. It's because he wanted to have children. Right. And he wasn't right. going to do it on the fucking juice. Yeah. And then his, his, his wife ends up with Hodgkin's disease, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real, just a really screwed up time there for him, for sure. Um, but you know, you know, eventually we get to the point in the match where Dusty's walking tall with bionic elbows for everybody. You know, just passing them around to everyone. Um, I think you know my favorite thing in the whole match uh, overall was um, actually Doc when Doc hit the ring. Doc seemed like he was as serious as a heart attack and ready to just kill everybody that was in sight. The crowd popped for him too. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was that was like my favorite part of the whole match was just Doc hitting the ring. Um, you know, Barry is a master in this as well. Um, you know, there's just lots of stuff in this. You know, it's it's the War Games is one of those matches that there's so much going on, and obviously the camera can't keep up with everything. And of course, they're only doing like a two camera shoot here, so they're not keeping up with everything with both, both rings. Mm-hmm. You're just it's like it's like information overload. You're just trying to pick up here and there and everywhere to yeah. find out what you want. Uh, but, you know, overall, you know, it was an enjoyable war games. It was typical. And eventually, you know, we get to, um, you know, seeing everybody in the match where it'd be Luger, Tully, you know, Tully, Tully brings in a chair, you know, you know, with him, you know, so there's weapons throughout. There's the pliers, there's the chair, you know, everybody's, you know, there's implements in there for everybody to bleed. 
tell, Johnny tell, Starr, what do you think yeah, of this one? Yeah, tell Telly was sure. He's like, not a wooden chair. That doesn't work out well for me in these fucking situations. We'll go metal. <laughs> but to me, everyone always says, and I agree at the time, because this is right as I was drifting away from wrestling, the establishment of the, the horseman with Barry Windham happened, and they, they had all the belts. And I always agree with them, like, oh, that's the best fucking horseman because that's the best group of wrestlers. And I always kind of felt that way. And I kind of look back now and go, yeah, maybe it was with Oli because that was the best storytelling. And I liked it with Oli the best, but it was I best storytelling. Having Wyndham there, that was the best workers. It was the best working, exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. I, I, it, it, it's what I'm exactly what I'm saying. Because it ain't Luger. Because that was that was all storyline bullshit. Now, who's a m- member and uh, and uh, that was Luger learning how to be a worker and learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anywho. Everyone gets, I mean, the, the cover of PWI, you know, I remember the, this version of the Horseman and thinking these are, so we're done. this is like the best Horseman in a really bad period of, J- of JCP. You know, like this, things aren't going well, going well with this tour like as a hot shot, but there's tons of empty seats in this crowd. Yeah, you know, this, things aren't going well. Well, they still drew a $100,000 house. Yeah, well, how much of that was that had inflated ticket prices? Well, the price, the ticket prices yeah. would have been bumped up for the tour. But this was post Starcade '87 Greensboro too, right? Yeah, that was felt uh, burned by losing Starcade. Yeah, I was Chicago. there. Dude. Yeah, no, no, so no, no. I was there a year before. The houses so. were never the same in Greensboro after Starcade '87. But okay, we already got Dusty fucking cursing and all that shit. Uh, Docs. Giant rat tail, but that just hangs down. And it's a, a two inches wide. Is a, a choice for a, a hairstyle. <laughs> I just, he's like, I like to braid it, and does it. We had no braiding, baby. So he just has to let it hang down like that. It looks like a beaver tail. Uh, and then you get Nikita Koloff explaining to Doctor Death Steve Williams about the the Ricotta rules of how uh, war games works. Uh, when you get to, you know, after the first, you know, two guys get down, the time goes down, and the, the toy, co- the, the toy co- coin toss happens, you hear Nikita, he knows he's in front of the crowd, he speaks in perfect English, but uses Nikita voice and grabs the uh, doc and goes, and goes, uh, come on, we've got to go over here to the uh, coin toss. <laughs> And he's like, okay, because he has no idea what that is. Little thing in, in the early of the match, and then after Flair's in there, and Luger's outside, has a spot where he goes over to the cage, and goes, "Hey, Luger," and spits on him. He goes, "Ha ha ha ha!" And the next thing you know, it, it's the is counted down again and Luger goes right in and I'm like holy shit Dusty is out of ideas two spit spots to get the heat two powder spots powder there was powder in the Midnight Express match there was powder on the scaffold match they're just going at everything and over and over including spit spots and then he you kind of would think that the horseman would eventually figure out that JJ's a liability. <laughs> it's always the same thing over and over and over again. 
it's them not winning and it had to help with them killing everything just uh, never ever winning why would JJ be in there at this point yeah. and Ellering in his little tie-dyed you know fucking pants 70s, I don't want to see him in his, 70s trunks yeah I don't want to see him in his little tie-dyed fucking pants either I'm like <laughs> yeah this is when the you know tw- there's great tours that start great, like with a spark, the first great American bash. And then the next year, boom, it went great. I was there in Philly. And then 87, you know, still okay. And by this point, it's like, this tour is over, motherfucker. Really? They do another one? 89? Yeah, they Ooh. did, yeah. But okay. it, it's, yeah, it, I don't think it drew too well. What, in 89? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. It was, it was uh, destroyed at that point. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, bash, uh, the one in Baltimore drew well with Funk and yeah. Flair, other than that, it was the tour know. itself didn't do well though, because most of the tour uh, Flair wasn't with it because he was selling the yeah. injury. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oof. So still, no, I would give the match. Ah, uh, I mean, it's not the greatest War Games of all time, that's for sure. But it was, it was still fun. Um. We were talking about gifts from the from the show earlier. The one gift that does need to be made is Arn Anderson. Before he goes into the cage, he stops, turns around, surveys the crowd, and then gives them the middle finger. That was awesome. <laughs> that needs to be a gift. That could work for so many different things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been said already. Lots of blood pliers dusty bleeding like a stuck pig uh the the two minutes or whatever it is when it was two on one dusty i called that the passion of the dusty i was just <laughs> being <laughs> tortured for two minutes straight crucification <laughs> uh, of dusty yeah yeah it was they should have put the, the the crown of thorns on his head and it would have been perfect Oh, that's um, what he wanted. You know that. You know. <laughs> I'm your golden savior, baby. Nail him to, to the cage. Crucify me, baby. Yeah. And we had more low blows than like a Bruce Hart book, the Calgary Stampede match. Lots of low blows in this one. Hey, man, uh, you're out of line, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to the coin tosses, uh, you know, the babyface baby team would always lose, right? Always. They were O for every war games. It was like worse than the Oakland A's record in deciding <laughs> games in the 21st century. Like they lost everyone. Every single uh, one. Yeah, and every single time they go, why do we keep putting our manager in? I, I don't. <laughs> why do we keep doing this? And J.J. Dillon is so pasty white. He's <laughs> glowing compared to everybody else. And, of course, he's going to lose. Dusty. I did like how Dusty did use the ropes for leverage on the figure four because there's no rules, so just go for it. That was cool. But, yeah, the, we all knew what was going to happen. Dillon was going to be the one to tap out at the end. But it's totally fun. Like, this is nonstop action. There's nothing but... Punching, brawling, blood, weapons. So it, it's kind of like a Royal Rumble. It's tough to screw up the war games. And yeah, so I really Unless like Vince it. Russo gets a hold of it. Well, okay, yeah, oh. that's the one disclaimer. 
Uh, so I went through. Well, there was a few bad ones in the Nitro years. I'm uh, trying to remember. Don't uh, even start on it because yeah. I thought this. I you know, despite me all the shit I'm making fun of, I enjoyed the fuck out of this match. I enjoyed yeah. the shit out of it a lot more than the fucking Nitro shit that I did not enjoy at all. Yeah, yeah, no, those all stunk pretty much. No, yeah, this was very fun. I went three and a half stars, so it's my number two match of the night. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of this. I mean, I give it four stars. Um, I mean, first off, Arn and Tully's jackets are just absolutely swank. And I need to snag me one of them because those things look bad freaking ass. The white uh, horseman jacket. Mm-hmm. I am sure that if you contact Tully Blanchard and make a sizable donation to his ministry. Tully Blanchard Enterprises? Yeah, it's yeah. Here's the thing. Here's why I'm suspicious about his ministry. It's still called Tully Blanchard Enterprises. Huh. There's a baby doll in China. And then we get Arn and Dusty to start, and this is like every War Games. These boys are starting it off, and and that's fine because it works. Um, then we get the coin toss, and we all know the the heels are going to win the coin toss. But you know what? That's the formula that works, and it needs to be that way. I don't want to see it changed, or let's because once we've seen those baby faces on top, it looks it's terrible. But JJ's expression of winning the coin toss is freaking <laughs> awesome. Um, I love uh, when Wyndham's in there and him and Honor on Dusty. It felt like a pair of vultures just. Uh, uh, just eating away at like a carcass on the, on the dead road. Uh, <laughs> this is just all chaos and violence. Uh, so many great, great moments here. Uh, well, I, I mean, I love the one point where Dusty and Arn are fighting and, and then they are, they're busted open and they do a cage spot and the blood flies out and he actually gets on Lex's peck. Uh, we see him <laughs> get some blood on there. Every uh, more blood than the uh, cut on his head at the Baltimore Pet. Exactly, and then every uh, every like entrance for the babyface uh, when they equal up the tide feels like it's like a hot tag in wrestling where the crowd just explodes when the babyface comes in, even the sides, uh, all the blood and uh, and bumps and uh, it all worked for me. I, I mean, it's War Games, man, and one of my favorite gimmick matches of all time. It's hard to screw it up. Uh, I know they've, they've taken it with NXT and morphed it into something that's not War Games. I wish they wouldn't uh-huh. call it War Games, but hey, uh-huh. that, that's for another. That's for another. There's show. another. There's a couple more coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, I know. Uh, okay. They're even watering Fine. it down even more by doing it twice on the same show. And now the broads are involved. Uh, ah, Jesus! And Jesus Christ, meathead! Back in my day, the War Games was between men. You see, now they got these. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if it's between men or women. I just don't like the rules what they've done uh and it, it's more geared towards the you know the let's do spots uh as opposed to violence and i hate the women's one will be better because oh, of course do, like, i'm sure course. it will be no, oh, no, I'm joking, no, I'm sure. no as as a fan of the modern product in general i've been saying this for now about two years every time i turn around i go the women's shit's better than everything else that's yeah. what i'm watching right now so yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want this to be taken the the well, i know this panel won't take it the wrong way, but for you listening, this is not a backhanded strike at women. 
Because they haven't found a woman who is basically doing PWG style and has that athletic ability and strength, because, because the women can't do those insane things, they're forced to focus on the fundamental stuff, and it's smarter and it's better. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fine. Exactly. They're, they, they're, it, it, everything it feels more like pro wrestling to me with, with right. the women right now. Like, I'm excited to see what they come up with for, for that because the women in NXT yeah. right now, that the way they've got the like it seems like everybody like it didn't dawn on me. That was the cool thing. But anyway. And you know who's and you know who's responsible for this? Fit Finley. I was and, gonna say Fit Finley. And the fabulous book. Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ah. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's Fit Finley. <laughs> and we've had quite the show, boys. Uh, we'll start with you, Kelly. What what do you overall on the show? What would you thumbs up, thumbs down? Oh, easy thumbs up. Yeah, it, it was a breeze. It was just over two hours. I loved the short early matches. That was great because they were all, you know, they told a story, got angles over, got uh, heel turns over. <sighs> Everything served a purpose. The scaffold match wasn't my cup of tea, but or nor was the uh, Perez Armstrong match, but other than that, I enjoyed pretty much everything. And your favorite match was the bunkhouse match, right? Yeah, yeah, that was as far as the personalities involved. Cornette wrestling was unique. Um, the heat was great. Both teams are great. I love tag team wrestling. Uh, War Games was was really good too, but I'd, I'd seen this match before, so it wasn't fresh. Um, like I said, there's better, way better war games, but it was still good. But no, the bunkhouse was my favorite. And yeah, this was a very fun card. All right, Johnny P, what about you? I know you didn't see the main event, but what about the rest of the show? Yeah, so I think that the bunkhouse match is, is going to sweep it. So, like, because that would be mine. But I want to give honorable mentions <laughs> to the Sting match and to the uh, the Brad Armstrong Alperez match. I just thought that those were nice mid-card matches that every show should be like when we talk about you Pete, you and i have talked a ton about building cards and where things go and what a match could be at every every increment of that show and i thought that those were two matches that every mid-card of every show could use i was a yep. thumbs up on the show at two how can you go wrong with two that many diverse matches and mm. only two hours and seven minutes like wow like that's just it's hard even if you weren't in love with it, you're like, that's the thumbs in the middle at worst. Yeah. Timing. Uh, it was the circus. You got a little bit of everything. The elephants, <laughs> the clowns, the trapeze artists. I mean, you got everything. Um, JB, man, what about you? How do you feel about the show in general? Uh, easy thumbs up. Uh, I think uh, a couple things that stood out to me, you know, uh, uh, Johnny P just mentioned uh, the Armstrong uh, match with Al Perez, which I thought was kind of a sleeper match uh, on the card. Yeah, um, yeah I fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and uh, I, Ronnie Garvin. God, let's not forget Ronnie Garvin. Just how yeah, great yeah. that was for that you know that 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 forty five seconds or whatever it was. Let's not yeah. forget about that. Yeah. Let's not forget about that. Yeah, but, my, our buddy Matt Dean. He told me that I thought he was the, thought it was the best sub one minute match he'd ever seen. Oh, oh, five, oh, 18 stars or whatever the, it is that you people do. Yeah, I mean, and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Bunkhouse by far. You know, uh, Midnight's Cornet, Masterclass and getting heat and uh, keeping it. And the Fantastics, uh, just that as their namesake. 
Johnny Sorrow, man. How about you? Where you, do you like the show? Oh uh, no, I love this because as anyone who's listened to the show and, and my recent obsession with the AWA dying, just pretty much around the same time, a few years later, I'm obsessed with watching promotions die. And this is that's the why you watch the WWE so much. <laughs> that's exactly. Well, okay. Here's here's sorry the, I couldn't pass up on that. Well, here's the thing: I'm not watching a lot. <laughs> I'm not watching a lot right now. I watch. I, I pick. There's too much. There's too much fucking wrestling. You know, I I have Green Arrow and Supergirl and everything. I, I, I don't have time for fucking wrestling right now. I have my stories right now. <laughs> <laughs> far more important than fucking wrestling. wrestling. Wrestling's never going away. It's always going to be there. Fuck it. Um, but this is the end of Jim Crockett Promotions, which was the promotion that really turned me because I grew up with just WWF. And then in one, one Saturday when I was like 14 or 15 – I found AWA through Pro Wrestling USA on WPIX Channel 11, and then I was flipping around at my grandparents' house, and I found fucking Crockett. I found Worldwide on Channel 17 out of Philadelphia, and that afternoon, it became my favorite wrestling. But that's why I was like, Mom, you're going to drive us to the Civic Center, and she did it, you know. Uh, not the best part of town. But it, 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 like, it wasn't like going to the Spectrum. You know, going to the Civic Center. But, you know, Crockett was my favorite. And watching this, I'm like, this is the end. It's getting into the end. And the difference between the AWA and the NWA was the end of the NWA still had a lot of viable good shit, which I enjoyed in, on this show. There's a lot of, I mean, Bugsy McGraw, really? <laughs> but there was a lot of good shit on this show. But you well, see also why people want to leave. Why to, you know? What was your favorite match? Like my favorite match? Well, it wasn't War Games. I really loved my favorite match. I, I, it was um, the Scaffold match. My favorite match was the Scaffold match. Well, there you go. Um, I, I love the show. I mean, I, I mean, I always like the wide variety of stuff. We have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. My favorite match was the War Games. I'm a mark for it. Um, you know, I saw this match, the War Games match in Houston a couple weeks later. And the actual, the actual finish, this finish had uh, Dusty with the figure four and JJ. And uh, he in Houston, they had Luger with the torture rack on JJ, which actually makes more sense since they were doing Luger flare around the horn. So you want to make your number one baby face look strong. So I think that finish worked more in, uh, um, in, in, in context going forward. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about, man, why do we have these uh, managers here? And I mean, we, we're not all dummies. I mean, we know it is, well, it's because they, they were the ones who were going to eat the pinfall or the submission. Uh, I mean, that's why they were there. Because, uh, again, like you made the point, Johnny, of uh, it doesn't do the horsemen much favors to be 0-45 in war games. Uh, but, you know, they, they can always just slug it off that, hey, the manager lost. So and this was the last time I think they used the managers. Because um, 
For the 89 one, it was all... Yeah, 89 was all uh, straight and up. And going forward. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, so we have that. And then another thing about the War Games in 88 that changed here and there, uh, Doc and, and Sting would rotate in and out, where Doc would work uh, Rotunda, and Sting was in the War Games match. Uh, so they, they did change it up a little bit here and there. Um, but man, yeah, definitely a fun, fun show. I just want to say uh, thanks to uh, Johnny P and JB for joining us. Yes, thanks, guys. Woo! Hey, guys, that was a marathon. This is, we could maybe do three shows out of this. I think. <laughs> let's do the whole bash tour. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, let's we, let's say we did and we don't. All right, we can edit the, we can edit Ooh. this into three world casts. Just. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be an epic, an epic one like the old Titan shows. Mm. All right, so um, JB, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to mention? Uh, not much. If you want to follow me and my uh, ramblings later tonight while I have a couple of bourbons, you can follow me on Twitter at pronounce JB, and that's about it. Johnny P, my traveling partner for Platform Manias. What uh, what what's going on, man? Anything you want to mention? Any plugs? Oh, uh, everybody check out NWA Power on yes. YouTube on Tuesdays at 6.05 because that's the thing I'm most enjoying right now. Nice. I'll second that, baby. Johnny Soro, anything you want to mention? Anything you want to plug? I want to also plug, even though I'm not watching it, I want to plug NWA Power. There's three R's, right? Is that how you, you yes. say it? Yeah. Okay. Roll those R's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Okay. All righty then. <laughs> you never know it's coming gonna be coming out. NWA power. You get that the zigzag joke? Oh. Okay. Um <laughs> a little Spanish flavor. A little Spanish flavor. NWA uh, Okay. Yeah, I'm glad Johnny P brought up NWA Power because I wanted to bring this up earlier. Just how this is the show we just watched was an NWA show, right? It was still it was. That was how it was promoted, mm-hmm. and now it's back in in a totally different format. Thirty years later, and it has the Rock and Roll Express and Jim Cornette <laughs> still still going. Uh, the Rock and, and the Roll NWA Express, yeah, tag champs, and also appearing on AEW Dynamite. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, longevity and, and rejuvenation, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Cornette, of course, is the color commentator. It's a great show. It it's it, it totally straddles the fine line between being uh, parody and being real, or whatever you want to call it. It it's, it works perfectly. Uh, I I love it. So yeah, everything that's uh, old is new again in 2019. And one other thing, next week, big show, two weeks in a row. This one's a biggie. I mentioned it last week. Next week, we're having the winner of the SCI tournament 2019, Ooh. Daniel McCabe, the oh. genius. Yes, yes, he's on. And we are doing a tribute to the Destroyer. So uh, Dick Byer, the Destroyer, passed away earlier this year. And so we're going to have a lot to talk about. Daniel's a huge Destroyer fan. And, yeah, we're going to talk about matches. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to maybe have some special surprises. It's, it's going to be really fun. So check it out. That's next week on WorldCast. So JB, JP, just curtain jerked. 
for Daniel McCabe. Son of a bitch. Damn. No offense, JB, but son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, and and also a uh, quick also quick thing too. I uh, forgot to do this and um also on the same feed that you were listening to this podcast, I was recently on the military industrial suplex reviewing oh, yes. NWA power. So yes. go give that a listen. And uh, maybe there's going to be uh, some more stuff down the road uh, related to that as well. Maybe there'll be, maybe there'll be another, maybe there'll be other. JB, uh, you have a lot of knowledge uh, and you express yourself really poignantly. Amanda, follow me on Twitter at Titans O Wrestling. And remember, man, there's a bunch of different wrestling. Yeah, I might not like the modern stuff, but you might find something you like, enjoy it, and don't hate on on wrestling. There's just too much. There's too much stuff. Too much stuff out there. You got to find something you like, enjoy it, have a good one.